to this theater yet ye come, Of dubs of talk of what's to come. For through this land on Silver Bridge, We have some rules which me must give. Strong language and situations will be without. So if your ears are fragile, then get out. Oh, how I will slay these things and make your heart and let them sing. For spoilers will abound, Kageki Shoujo all around. Other things, too, you may see or listen if you listen clearly. And thus we must say, to start our story to its end, that we of the Cub Talk Theater must not pretend that our views are all the same. They belong to their actors, and they are to blame. Now let's in here, my audience prime. May you sparkle, may you shine. And now let's let the curtain rise, for it is the Dub Talk Review Time. Good evening, gentlemen and ladies and everything in between, and welcome to the Great Dub Talk Theater, the show where our crew gets together and puts on wonderful musical dance for your pleasure. And behind the scenes, we have our great academy where we train the latest and greatest in podcasting. That's right, Beth, lift them legs. Uh, Tonight, I am your host and instructor, Miss Megan, along with our wonderful Musume Yasu, Gigi. Oh, your Ojo-sama is here. And our wonderful Otoyaku, Andrew. See, the thing about ladies is that the reality is they don't actually want a handsome prince or an alpha male. No, what they want is a fucking dweeb and a dork that can make them smile. That's the key, people. That's what they want to see. I want a hot lady. I mean, I also... a sword. Yeah, I think we all want hot ladies with swords that'll actually just fucking kill us. Yay! Have I told you about the wonderful free, wonderful MMORPG Final Fantasy XIV, which has a free trial up to level up to level sixty, including the award-winning Heaven's Word expansion? You think Sar- well, Sarza? Welcome was... to our school lives. I want you to know Sarza Watanabe would skip class to play Final Fantasy XIV. She one hundred percent would, and she would one hundred percent be a red mage. <laughs> I will take your word for it. <laughs> Red Mage is... Okay, I, 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 I'm I sorry to distract and, and, and seriously go to the, the one thing that infects my brain with maggots, Final Fantasy fourteen. I would like to point out that the uh, the Red Mage job master is literally Catboy Dante. Like, devil may cry Catboy Dante. I believe it. Yes. Anyway, back on track. Tonight we are here to talk about something that I have wanted to talk about for a couple of years at this point now and haven't gotten the time to. And now I have finally uh, kidnapped these two wonderful friends of mine. I mean, jangly asked them to come talk about this with me. Uh, We are finally going to talk about Kageki Shoujo, a wonderful, as I actually found out, Jose series by, uh, by Kumiko Saki based on her manga that was done over at Studio Pine Jam. Uh, so let me read the back of the first volume of the manga, or at least the back of Kigeki Shoujo The Certain Rises, which is actually volume one. Um, 
Watanabe Sadasa has always dreamed of being an otokoyaku, an actress who plays the male roles in an all-female theater troupe. Narita Ai also has a dream. The disgraced former idol wants to live in a world full of women and not have to deal with men at all. When they both get into the competitive all-girls theater school, the stage is set for Ai and Sadosa to enter the limelight and take their first step towards stardom. So basically, what happens when you when you put the most golden retriever of human beings with trauma Eeyore and ask them to put on Romeo and Juliet? <laughs> Trauma Eeyore is an image, but you're not even wrong. Thanks for noticing me. Eeyore up on stage. You know what? I actually forgot to ask. Romeo. Oh, Romeo. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? So... How did all of these players get to finally discuss the subject of today's episode? Uh, I dragged you kicking and screaming into watching this like a woman possessed. Oh, yeah. paid for this? Oh, yeah. You didn't have to pay me for this, but we did anyway. (laughs) So this is because of our wonderful patron, Marissa Lenti, who is wonderful and awesome and uh, may or may not have a connection to the dub for the show that we are about to talk about. Uh, Yay! So let's just, just... Not put on any kids' gloves and just jump immediately into uh, directing and writing. Uh, this dub was handled over at Sound Cadence Studios and was in fact directed by Marissa Lenti with assistant directors of Alexis Tipton, Damon Mills, Mike Haimoto, Natalie Van Sestine, and Stephen Fu. And was written in combination by Bonnie Clinkenbeer, Jessica Cavanaugh, and Emily Neves. I should also point out that the translator for this series, Katarina Ludinakis, was also given a special thanks on the Blu-ray. She did the entire localization of the subtitles, um, which, and I, she's also the translator last I checked for the manga still. Oh, nice. Um, so I do have volume, no- I don't have the newest volume, the newest volume comes out tomorrow, which is volume uh, nine. Um, so... I'm not going to go over all of the assistant director's other works because there are a lot of them. Uh, But to go over what Marissa Lenti has done, they have done After Song Connections, Tribe 9, and the dub for Gunbuster that just recently came out as of the time of this recording. Yes. As for writers, Bonnie Clinkenbeard has done series such as Arte, The Boy and the Beast, and the Escaflone movie. Jessica Cavanaugh has worked on series such as Asteroid in Love, Island, and Soccer Request. And Emily Neves has worked on series such as Alice in Deadly School, uh, Gek Idol, and because I'd like to make Andrew's brain hurt, uh, Matsumune Kun's Revenge. That got a second season. I can't believe it. Yeah, like five years after the first one, and the Blu-ray for season one still isn't out in America. Oh my god. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Yikes. For Uh, For some reason, 2023 is just 2017 again, but at least we got a new Agent Magus Bride, so I guess I can't complain too much. No, no, sir. Uh, just like to say, shout out to all the patrons, because hello, y'all are on my taste level, which is amazing, and it means you have excellent taste in everything that you choose. So, mm-hmm. chef's kiss to y'all. You're great. Y'all are good people. Thanks for sticking with us. I'd apologize we're uh, preambling, but all of you in particular know what we're about. So we're not apologizing to you. 
I gotta pull up my phone so I have all the cool things that I wrote in my notepad about <laughs> the directing and the writing. <laughs> about the directing and the writing. And the first thing I wrote down was, fuck yeah, there's a frozen reference. Oh my god. God. So that that was something I I'm embarrassed to admit that was what I picked up on the rewatch was the fact that they threw in just a overt frozen reference. Y'all, yeah, I the think references in this are great. <laughs> I think they specifically throw it out about uh, I, if I'm correct. Uh, yes, what the regal we... ice queen who sung about letting it go. She reminds that's me of a regal I... ice queen that's that's sung about letting it go. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's when uh, her uncle and uh, the Phantom are literally looking at all the girls coming in. It's like, whoa. I think one of my other favorite things was, whoa, my ceiling doubles. Yes, those are twins. God. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, I award that one cringe. Oh my god. I so, have to admit, because I'm a big girl for y'all that don't know, but when, oh my god, that teacher was like, no fatties, I fucking lost my shit. <laughs> Fuck that bitch. It's a very dramatic moment, but it does feel very fitting for the context of the school in particular. Which, as far as the show in general... This is an interesting beast of an anime in particular because this is, as far as genre and tone-wise, a little bit of everything. And yeah. it can oh, shift in a way that should feel tonally off, but doesn't. I don't know how to explain that. It's that there's that level of I think my best way of describing the show is that it's really interesting also be that we're talking about the show given another show that is airing this season that proclaims itself to be social commentary on a facet of the entertainment industry. While this is also that, but I think this is a show that actually works better about it. I also, I would also argue they have different goals, but they have different goals, but I feel like this is, kind of tying to your thing of like this is a bunch of different genres and yet they work is that I feel like all the different genres here feel more natural or at least like all the different tones feel more natural because this is a show about a bunch of like 16 to 19 year old girls remember they're not all 16 some of them are older yeah so but in the same class because you can spend your high school years trying to get into coca which is the school to be part of um the Takarazuka yeah. review? It's, it's not called that in the show, but that's what it's based off of. It is very um, much based off that, yeah. Yeah, for those of you who don't know what the Takarazuka uh, review is, it is a all f- it is like an all-female drama musical troupe where the men, even the male roles are played by women, and it dates back like hundreds of years, and they do all of these musical shows, and it's super highly popular with women, and it's actually starting to get streamed over here now. Yeah, I just saw really? they just finally like subtitled and like yeah. aired a production. A production. Uh, was it 007? I think it was 007. Yeah, they just did a 007 show. Um, oh it was very funny. Sorry, no, this is tangent. It's very funny looking into the Takarazuka review because I discovered there was a Death Note musical and I found out the guy who wrote that is an American that's married to a Takarazuka review actress. 
You didn't know there was a Death Note musical? I didn't know there was a Death Note musical. Okay. There's also a Hunter Hunter musical. There's oh. musicals for fucking everything. Okay. Here's the thing. The Death Note musical wasn't done in Japan. It was done in England. Okay. Yes, there is also, going to be it's, a production. It's also called Coca. The, the theater is also called Coca. Yeah, yeah. See, I know there's a bunch of anime musicals, but most of those don't matter because they're just in Japanese. But when I hear a English concept album for the Death Note musical is a real thing, and the guy playing L sounds like he could be in Rent, that fucks with your head a little. <laughs> oh God, we are so off track. Let's go back to from somebody who went to art school for acting and music. Uh, Yes and no to how this, like, equates to real life. Yeah, no, like, I feel like it's, like, obviously there's stuff that's exaggerated, but I feel like sometimes, like, just the idea of, like, they take a lot of the stuff that seems really mundane super seriously in the show about acting, but yet there are also times when, like, the teenage girls actually act like, you know, fucking teenage girls. Like, I believe that kids would act like this or be silly or traumatized but trying to make friends like it's very dramatic so you kind of have to separate the drama in the vocals from when the characters are actually acting as opposed to when they're in their personal lives Mm -hmm. so like when sarasa is acting completely different vocal tones completely different mannerisms and quirks in the voice as opposed to when Sarasa is just talking and they're just like this normal perky girl. It's so funny. Every actor puts on a different face. Yeah. And I think that is a very tricky thing to do well when you are an actor and you are acting in a show about acting and making that convincing without losing yourself. And yeah, I think I think Every character in this, especially, like, our main group of characters that we follow throughout the show, are all very realized people, but also very realized actors in their own right as well. And the dub does an excellent job doing all that in particular. The show tackles a lot, but the production at the helm of it tackles it and then some with with incredible skill. And the, equally the, incredible ambition. The casting in this is phenomenal because mm-hmm. you're not only casting for one set of characters, you're casting for a second set of characters, depending on who they're auditioning for, a third set of characters, if they're going to sing or not, which, by the way, there are dubbed songs in this. And they're pretty good. They're good. They're good dubbed songs. The singing in this is really quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, and, no, this has some of the best dub singing in it. Yes, like it's just fantastic. And on top of all of that, you have a script that is both intentionally and unintentionally funny and will also like rip your fucking heart into shreds. <laughs> I think awesome. one of my personal favorite lines is, you've never been in a relationship and I've never killed anybody before. <laughs> I would hope you hadn't. There's just there's just this very genuine uh some of these characters I think that's why I love about like a main character in a show like this where everybody is on edge and it's like why do we have to be rivals? Why do we have to be enemies? 
I just want to be buds and play my part. It's you like, know, in, in real life, like, sometimes actors are very, very catty depending on how much they want to work and what they want out of their profession and that bleeds into their personal life. Uh, but, you know, in another part of the world, they're all just like, let's just be friends with one another and whoever gets the job is the best one for the job. And I feel like there's both of that in this show. Um, I th- oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, also the fact that they're all kind of guaranteed work at the end of their stay at the school kind of helps in that area, right? Because they're all guaranteed they're to all guaranteed, get on the stage, right? They're all guaranteed to go into the troop, but... You're not guaranteed uh, the good parts or the yeah, ones you're not, you really want. Yeah, you're never guaranteed to become the top star or the certain position that you want or... Um, the manga kind of goes into it later about certain other things, but that's a spoiler for stuff that happens in, like, I think legitimately, like, right after where the, mo- the anime ends. Um, they start going to a lot of the stuff that some of the second years that are there with them. Because remember, you only go to school there for two years. And it has a, I think they said it's got a lower rate of acceptance than Tokyo U. Out of like 400 girls, only 40 get in. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if if you don't get into there by like the time you're 20, you're, you're SIL. You're shit out of luck. So I, I think I think the thing that really works about the direction in this show is that it's like Gigi said, like you're casting these these character these actors for two people, but you're also casting a bunch of people who very clearly know how to act as characters who don't know how to act in this very specific way. And in some cases, they have prior training to a lot of them. Uh, one of the girls has been a baller was a prima ballerina. Um, one of the girl I was a, a former idol. Um, Sarsa grew in, in grew up in a world of kabuki, a he, predominantly male space that she could never break into. Or and then you have uh, characters like Ayaka who have nothing special about them from where they came from, but they have to build on their natural talents. So you have to have all of these actors who fairly clearly know how to act, but you have to have them be able to portray that these girls may have the good base route to act, but there are different quirks that they're not thinking of. Thinking of how, like, Kaoru uh, is super intent on only looking at their teacher, as opposed to how Sarasa projects her voice and looks up towards the entire crowd. And it's, like, little things like that that make this dub so technically impressive. And the other thing I really want to talk about is, holy shit, this cast is, like, super inclusive um yes there's a lot of non-binary and trans actors in this dub i think all of the top stars of the coca troops because there's four troops based off the four season i think every one of them is played by a gender non-conforming performer you would be correct that is uh which is really cool for if you think about it for otokoyakus who are women played or women who play men I actually did learn something about that courtesy of uh, a little up-and-coming VTuber in the sphere known as uh, Vixen. Uh, They managed to get a little information, actually, and 
told me that the majority of the female characters who play the Otonoyakus, with like a few exceptions, notably, uh, I forget the character's name, but the one who sings. With the, with the exception of that character in particular, almost all of the Otonoyaku characters are played by trans, non-binary, or gender-fluid actors in the whole dub of Kikaki Shoujo. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's a cool detail I genuinely did not know about until I found out. That's a very cool thing to learn. Yeah. So overall, I think like this is probably like one of the better written and directed dubs that have come out in the last couple years. Um, not biased, not like I gave this best direction or uh, <laughs> dub of the year at one point. <laughs> um, also, something that I want to point out is there was a little bit of room for improvisation in the here. Like mm-hmm. I do remember that the first time I watched Kageki Shoujo, I was tweeting out my reactions as I always do. And I said, is that Sarasa humming the Rose of Versailles theme? And it was, and that was like an improvisation. So I think it's always awesome when directors allow their cast members to do that in the booth. Sometimes the coolest little, little Easter eggy things come out when you let your actors improvise. So whenever there's a chance to do that, like I get really happy. (laughs) It's very tricky to even do that in dubbing, so having the freedom to work that in when it does work is, like, that's really cool. I also wanted to shout out one other thing, because I remembered hearing about this back then, but I feel like it's a thing I want to give in regards to the script and the translation in particular. So, they play Shakespeare. And in Japanese, they did not really worry about writing Shakespeare. They kind of did... They just kind of wrote it as is. But in the translation, which is reflected in the dub, it's actually translated back into English with the actual, like, English text of Romeo and Juliet, even in regards to the song that is sung in episode 12. Oh, wow. So that in itself is a particularly impressive thing, because something that I feel like would have just gotten foregone in the original... They actually took the extra time to make it equivalent to the Shakespearean script, which I think that's really goddamn cool and impressive on their parts. Sometimes it's always hard to have a discussion when it's like, everything about this is a tour de force and just really fucking good. And guess the fuck what? This whole production is a tour de force and really fucking good, and we're going to continue to gush about it all night, so... Yeah, that's where Hi. that's what you're here for. My cat has come over. Hello, baby. Hi, Shinya. Shinya oh, is Shin- going to hear us gush about this dub. Yes, Shinya soft butt. <laughs> she her fur is so soft. That's why. Yeah, you have a soft booty. You know what? While we're here, why do they call them short hair? There's cat. There's cat hair everywhere, even on the short hair ones. Jesus Christ. All right. Are you guys ready to move on to start talking about our first set of actors? Let's go. I would like awesome. to. <laughs> I would like to see the baby. It would Hi, be- pretty girl. Pretty, pretty girl. All right. So our first set of act, uh, first set of characters are kind of very like minor characters who come in and out. In some cases, they are also uh, one-off characters. They are Miyaka, Mi- Mikaya Kitjiro, they are a, a shut-in nerd 
who was the guy that I called a a ugly like awful like person for shaking her hand and it caused her to get ousted from uh JPX 47 basically it's it's basically supposed to be a very thinly veiled reference to um AKB 48 which is a very popular idol group in Japan Oh I never actually uh, got that Yeah that's that, that it's a very obvious reference um <laughs> I don't so, follow the title stuff, so yeah, okay. Yeah, you're not a fucking weirdo who likes Love Live like me. Um, but he essentially kind of comes back to try to apologize to Ai for making her lose her career. Um, then there is Rikito Suji. He is a a guy that Karu meets back in her hometown in her backstory about uh, her and her feelings. And she had fallen in love with him. However, due to their differing views on life and family legacy... They, she just kind of ran away, blocked him, and never wanted to do anything with him again. And he posted a mysterious letter to her in the bus stop that they met at. And now it's like some urban myth thing. And everyone's like, oh, how romantic. Then there is Tatsumu Onodera, the best teacher to ever exist in all of Koka. Um, he is the music teacher who teaches them all how to sing. He is very, very overtly gay. Um, and he he's he just like, he says he doesn't play favorites, but it's very clear who his favorite, who his little... favorite is. Uh, he also has one of the other best lines, which is I'm a Coca girl at heart. Um, he's, he's, he is, he is objectively the best teacher in the show and I love him. And then there is Say Satomi, who is the, uh, new top star of the winter Coca troupe who keeps kind of, uh, crossing Sadas's path. Uh, you find out that they are the, she is the first top star that was picked and kind of cultivated by their homeroom teacher, uh, Mr. Ando. And she kind of has uh, the same eyes for Sarasa and her, her growth in the future uh, as he does. So playing uh, Kita, uh, Kita Joji is Keston Howard. Playing uh, Suji is Mark Allen Jr. Playing Mr. Onodera is David Wald. And playing uh, Say Satomi is Kaylee McKee. Uh, Keston Howard, this is like his first really big named kind of role. Uh, but Mark Allen Jr., you'll know his characters such as Yasha and Children of Kamari Month, Wataru Kunan and Blue Lock, and Ukiyo Sayonji and Dr. Stone. Uh, everybody knows our good friend, Mr. David Wald. Who's played Yay. characters such as uh, Hans in Attack on Titan, Mrs. Hudson in Case File 221 Kabuki Joe, and uh, on the opposite end of Mr. Onodera, Herman Luis and Kara the Animation. There are two wolves inside of you. <laughs> Herman Luis is the character that Onodera would say, oh my god, he's so hot. He fucking would. Okay, and Kaylee McKee, you'll know his characters such as Pina and Beastars, uh, Kikunonjo? Uh, Kiku, just just say Kiku. Just Kiku. Yeah, Kiku in One Piece and Joan of Arc and Requiem of the Rose King. Um, so I think the the two easiest ones to kind of get out of the way first are Keston and Mark. Uh, poor, this poor fucking nerd. So... They they pretty much established uh, this nerd, and your your first thought is, oh, oh, this is a really creepy, shitty little stalker guy. Oh, this is going to be terrible. Oh, this is going to be awful. 
And then he's just kind of a sad guy who just got unlucky. He's like, I I was inspired by her smile. I really mm. wanted to get to meet her. Listen, creep, let go of me. And then, ooh, that's rough, buddy. <laughs> yeah, ooh. That's Symphony rough. ain't easy, but a show is fun. It really just is as simple <laughs> as guys doing his best. He just didn't account for trauma. Fucking, fucking Taiji's like, yeah, it's not your fault. Uh, we'll get to that. We will, um, but yeah, because uh, it's not as, it's not as, it's not as happy. Um, I felt conflicted listening to him, honestly, because I was just kind of like, I know I'm like supposed to feel hatred for him because of what happened with I, but at the same time, then he's like doing that weirdo dance with Sarasa, and I'm just kind of like, what? I I think it's I don't very... think you're supposed to hate him. As a person, you're you're supposed to hate the the, the, the idol, idol the idol industry. I think in that it's it's less that he's a bad person. He's just a dude who who wanted to who put I think a little bit too much of a parasocial relationship in with I. Right, and I I, I get I get that, and I get that through the the vocal performance, like mm-hmm. that like we're has- not really supposed to feel what I is feeling, but in a different sense, like just the way that he is and the way that his voice sounds. And he sounds, you know, apologetic for everything that happened to her. So he's just just kind of a weird little guy that's got handed a raw deal, but genuinely does feel bad and kind of feels like he is the reason she is no longer the idol she wants to be without really well no she never really wanted to be an idol but he himself doesn't actually know that yeah but i think keston does a good job sounding very like apologetic while also sounding very dorky delivering some pretty fun lines i love how he in his moment of cool guy hero moment he just flings himself like he's a fucking e-honda main and then just like eats shit on the floor I will say I like that he is an overweight guy that doesn't have the stupid fat dude voice. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. But definitely the highlight for sure is uh, the dance-off. Just the weird little dance that him and Sarsa are just bonding over and just doing that weird little idol dance. And then he's like, hey, that's impressive. Bet you can't do this. As he just, like, kind of tries to do a Matrix and just, like, his back's giving out. He's like, see? You can't do that. And then Sarza is just fucking flexible. I can do it like it ain't every, shit. Every 90s person just felt their bones, just felt th- them in that moment where, like, he just goes down barely a little bit. Yep. You can could, you could tell, uh... You can tell the end of Avatar The Last Airbender hit him hard because he, too, could relate to losing his bending. Congratulations on your check and your first named role, Captain. Yeah. Oh, he does a good 20 job. Twenty out of ten. He Get another. Does, 
He genuinely does do a really good job and is a pretty standout performance. And... I love it when new people do so well. Like, it just makes me happy. It kind of, like, rings true to the theme of this anime also. But I'll talk more about that later in the episode. It is cool to see new people get to play big roles as well as underappreciated actors Getting Mark to Allen play Jr. standout roles. Speaking I of which, loved Mark Allen Jr. in this. I oh. fell in love with the baseball boy on the bus also. I'm a sucker for romance and tragedies and bittersweet endings. <sighs> Just that whole episode is like genuinely one of the best. And I can't wait to talk about Karu's actor. That's my favorite this. episode. Not going to lie. It, it is genuinely one of the best episodes of the show. Uh, but Mark really works so well in turn with uh, Karu's actress. But I think the thing that I like about it most is that the performance between them both feels so effortlessly natural. that, And it's just such a very deeply like telling episode and a very genuine, interesting take to have. Because it's an episode about legacy and want. In that they are both in this position where somebody else in their family is giving them unrealistic expectations. (laughs) Well, no, it's not giving them it's, it's, they are stars. And because they are this well-known thing, everybody around them keeps putting these expectations on them. Mm, And in, uh, the, let me get his name in, uh, Suji's case, he wants to back away from that. He doesn't think that, he he wants to do that and he even has to put up with people who come up to him to use him to get closer to his brother and that part where he gets the letter from the girl you can tell that he's trying his nice to be su- like his best to be super polite about it but you can hear the kind of like angry vile like in his voice about this my brother doesn't accept this i'm not my brother Meanwhile, you have Karu, who is on the opposite end, where she wants to live up to her family's legacy because her mom and her grandmother were both in the Koka troupe, especially her grandmother being a very famous Otoya, uh, a very famous Musume Yahoo. I think she was called Spring Snow White, they said. Yeah, Spring Snow White was her grandma. And... The moment that really seals the episode for me and Mark's performance is when they're sitting out under the fireworks and he goes, you know, you don't have to keep pushing yourself to get into Coca just because your family wants you to. And that's when she leaves him because he never took into account that even though they had this similar place, her wanting to get into Coca wasn't a, well, I guess I have to do it because everybody thinks I should. It's, I genuinely want this. Why do you all of you people keep not thinking that I want this? I think it's also the frustration that even her own grandma was like, you don't have to feel pressured to go down the same path. You can find something else to do. And Yeah, and he was just kind of the one who also said it after that, and he kind of got the brunt of it. But I think also it, it hurt her more because she allowed herself to be vulnerable with this person. And when you're like, she's like 18, so she's one of the older girls in the class too, Karu. So it's got um, it's got the extra pressure of this is your last shot kind of too. Yeah, and 
I have to imagine as a teenage girl that opening up to this stranger in a town that also doesn't like her very much. Yeah, everybody just kind of thinks she's just like a weird porcelain bitch, basically. Yeah, and, and granted, out of the, the class when we get there, Karu is very much the kind of bitchy one. Uh, but it's less bitchy and more that she's the one who's willing to be the bad guy. In a sense, but like nobody else in the town really likes her except for Suji. And you can tell that he's genuinely hurt when he puts the, the letter up. And you can tell how much he's like, I know I can't get this back, but I'm still thinking of you. If I had to use a single word to describe Mark's performance, tender. Especially his dynamic with Karu is that there's just this level of tenderness in regards to their interactions, the way he plays this performance. And it's just so absolutely charming. And you could tell that he is just kind of like an awkward kid that's just trying to fumble about and figure out what he wants. But he really does like her quite a lot, and you can tell she's falling too. Man just straight up says, I think you'd look good in a mustache. And it's like, ah, that's a very, very smooth play, my guy. I just had to look up who he plays in Blue Lock because he doesn't play one of the dudes that I'm, like, biased over. <laughs> God damn, what a range. <laughs> <laughs> God, he can play baseball and sports. What an actor. Wow. Baseball and soccer, sports. wow. Ba no, Andrew didn't say baseball, soccer. He said baseball and sports as if baseball isn't a sport. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Shit. No. Oh, no. We're, we're done here. I'm not going to simp over this performance anymore. It was really good. Are you here to simp over our, our rainbow overlord as Mr. Onadera? So but, David yeah. Wald playing himself was really great. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's. That is David Wald. That's not even. Acting. That's not act. That is, uh, what was what was the phrase I learned recently? Uh, ink suit acting. Ink suit acting was something I learned very recently. I never heard that term before. What does that mean? It means you basically cast somebody who looks like their character or basically is their character. Oh yeah, that and tracks. Not, <laughs> Mr. D David Wall does not look like Mr. Onodera, no. but he is literally fucking Mr. Onodera. The vibe I get from David Wald <laughs> in the interactions I've had with him is that he is basically the nicest, gayest music teacher you've ever goddamn did dud seen. And God, Onodera is delightful. Did you did not see him at the Dimmodome? God damn it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no. You guys no. know he majored in music, right? I did, yes! Okay, I did good. know that. I, yeah. I've talked to, uh, I remember talking to uh, Jesse Greel about uh, Stranger by the Shore, and she had mentioned that he directs very musically when it comes to performances and having them match the performance as well as resonating with all the other actors. So a lot of musicality in his directing. So him being the music teacher in this is extremely fitting. And God damn it, this, in a world 
that is as cutthroat as acting and performance is. And especially in an environment that is so cutthroat, make or break and judgy as it is. Like where the teachers are ju- are judging about your performance and your looks especially. Yeah, and- no fatties over there. How could you do- like God, he is so right to fucking yell at her. Right? At a uh, Tachi That's a uh, he yells at Tachibana who's played by Jessica Peterson who uh, if you don't know, is a character like she's a female narrator from Goblin Slayer, uh, Animu and Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer, and uh, Nene in uh, Yamada and the Seven Witches. Uh, God, and, hang on, God would kill me if I didn't mention the fact that she was Francesca, Francesca Varkama in Ace Attorney. But Bo- like, I love how I love how he's just like, what the hell is wrong with you, man? But it, it is it is very much a cutthroat environment, and you can tell throughout the show because she is the the lowest ranker of the cast. Every other other girl dunks on her and shits on her because they feel better and superior to her. No, for they that. don't. They don't shit on her for it. They they yell at her for not believing in herself a lot. Her friends, like, her friends do. I think I specifically think of the final episode. Where uh, she got the role and everybody was like, oh, that little failure did it? I wonder if she had to, like, bribe the teacher or something. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that part. That's kind of what I was thinking of. Well, but David Wald is her biggest cheerleader. And quite mm-hmm. frankly, like, if he played the music teacher at my school, I would be like, well, we're besties now. Like, like it's like Lenti was like, hey, my dude do you want to show up today and make some union rates? Like just come in the booth and talk. Like you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Just talk about anything. It'll be great. And like, he showed up and just like was himself and got a check. And I'm all about that shit. So David, I lo- David, Wald I, love, has- oh, sorry, sorry. I just love when, when Ayaka's kind of having this moment where she's she's like she's thinking about quitting and going back to her sister her family um he she's just like he's just like he breaks into the girl's dormitory and the and the door maiden's like Mr. Onadera, you know that only you know that only um only girls are allowed in the dorms. Allowed in here in the dorms. And he just David Waltz, mm, I'm a coca girl at heart. <laughs> And it's so good and so real. Like, the, the noise that goes so along good. with it. He's so great at everything but he just does. The fucking, the fucking noise is what kills me. But it's that, just like the... Just like the... But that, but that scene in particular is just the general... Everybody needs somebody like that in their corner when the chips are down and you are at everyone your lowest. Needs, everyone needs a Mr. Odadero. <laughs> Everybody needs a David Walls <laughs> to be your encouraging cheerleader and tell you, you can do it. You're doing great. You don't give up. Don't lose sight of your dreams. You can do this. You're gonna go far, kid. What I'm saying is, David Wald, if you got into the ASMR business, you'd make a killing, sir. Uh, take my money. Anyway... Who else are we talking about? Uh, and then finally, we got to talk about Kaylee McKee as Say Satome, a.k.a. If you are in a lesbian, if you are in at least bisexual now. I yeah, know. No, say, yeah, Say's hot. 
<laughs> oh my god. So there's that scene where they what are they called? Own own otome otomeyaku yeah where all of them are like in that room together and like the little sparkles go off and they're like sheen 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 sheen." and i was like okay i'm a lesbian now it's fine which if you want to know why you put all my types in one room (laughs) which if you want to know the other top stars alongside uh say are played by uh kaden jensen melly grant and anjali kunapaneni I just Melly Grant, I think, is the summer one, right? I I I do not remember. I, I just we, we sit for all, all. But remember, summer team won the hundredth the hundredth anniversary of uh, only the, uh, only due to a technicality. Technicality. <laughs> yeah. Just just totally the part where Say basically cabin on Sarasa on the ground. No, he, uh, no, she, uh, Cabadon's her in the back hallway, and I'm just like, if you came out of Coca, if you came out of Coca straight, I want to know what went wrong. Right? But yeah, no, Say, Say is very much a talented actress in her own right, but it's also very clear that even, even being the top, top of the class, or, like, being the top star, you can tell she is still a very nurturing person that is trying to be there for people, and... Sarsa is kind of dealt a rough hand and is basically suddenly forced in a situation where she might stand out or might take away from the experience. Where she's kind of like having a freakout attack because she trips over Satomi at the race. And she's just kind of like, oh god, what do I do? And then it's like... Sarsa's face when she's on the ground. Because it's basically, oh, it's not about me helping her. It's about her helping me. So she's just giving her what is basically the actor's equivalent of, come on, do the fucking thing. <laughs> By the way, fuck Hijri. She's the reason why Sarah's so angry. Oh, we will, no, we will get, get to that Get to one. her. But I, think, no. but, uh, I think the great part about Say and the great part about Kaylee's performance of her is that Kaylee plays her very humble. And yes. Say is... A top star, like, shines brighter than all the rest of them. But you can hear, like, the humbleness in Kaylee's voice. But also, like, I don't want to say commanding or commandeering, but there's, like, a confidence behind it. Oh, she knows she's good. She knows she's good, but she doesn't have to Ojo-sama it up. Like, oh, I am the best ever. You know, and it's not like that. It's, like, more humble and good. We'll get to kind of, I think, the opposite of her character in the next segment. But I think the thing that really works about Kaylee's performance is that there's also such a nat. I think it's not only that she's got the confidence; it's a natural confidence. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's not somebody who's like screaming and pounding their chest that they're like the top star and like they're the best. It's uh, not only is she very humble, but it's very clear that she has very much had her mentorship rub off onto her. Um, because she was the first girl, like, her, the top star, the first top star that the Phantom had, like, kind of molded into that. And I think in a sense that she kind of sees potentially some of herself in Sarasa. Um, because I think Say said that they just suddenly shot up in height when they were in Koga. Mm. Um, but no, I just really like all, Kaylee's performance. It's super good. So good. Oh yeah, no, she she does a great job, and... It's very clear she's got the confidence and is able to do 
the whole heartthrob thing, too, while also being a big, mm -hmm. uh, supportive, uh, big sister type. Nice. But also, just whenever she needs to, you can tell, oh, yeah, she's gonna make some people swoon. And there are line reads where it's like, oh, th this is to make people swoon. But I also do enjoy her hanging out with the other top stars, and you can tell they're all friends, but there's, like, that petty rivalry brewing. It's it's definitely a <laughs> bitch. <laughs> it's 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 a bitch friendship affectionate. It's, right. Okay, it's okay. I know Andrew's probably seen it, but it's uh. Have you ever seen the Pro ZD skit? It's like new acquaintances versus old friends. It's like new acquaintances. Hello there. Oh yes, it's so nice to meet you. We are the yeah. best of friends. Such great chums. Hey, what's up, you Scooby Dooby dick? <laughs> accurate. <laughs> Yeah, that... that it's it's the latter. It's the what's up, you Scooby Dooby Dick? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> you remember BattleBots or something? I think is that like. I think so, yeah. Anyways, it's like that. Uh, Kaylee's great. All right, so are we all good to move on to the next section? Let's so we are going go. on from you bitch affectionate to you bitch you bitch derogatory. derogatory. <laughs> bitch derogatory um so let's start from the adults and work our way down to the teens so let's start with sadasa's or let's start from far away and get closer so first up there is kozaboro shirakawa and akia shirakawa they are uh i think they're like distant cousins with each other is like the easiest way to put it but they are part of the she uh the shirakawa family which is this great kabuki family um, and Ayaka, I, I, Akaya, the younger, the, the younger one. Akia? Uh, Akia, duh. Akia is next in line to take over the legacy of being the, um, oh my god, I gotta look this up. Sorry, I feel really bad for not having all my tabs up in my manga next to me. Um. The big kabuki guy. Yes, there's a title, that's why. There is definitely a title, but it is also just easier to say the okay, big cheese. Yeah, he's the heir apparent to the 15th generation Kabuki actor Suo Shikawa. Um, Played by Frank Dodaro. Yeah. And uh, Kosaburo is uh, apparently Sarasa's illegitimate father. Uh, he's married and had an affair outside of marriage. But if Sarasa had been made, been born a boy, they probably would have looked past it and made her the next Suo Shirakawa, therefore uh, pushing Akia out of the way. Uh, then there is Ma Mamoru Ando, who is their homeroom teacher, and the um, he's their homeroom teacher, and his nickname is the Phantom because he used to be a stage actor who played the Phantom of the Opera, but due to a tragic accident where he fell into the orchestra, he became injured and unable to perform on stage anymore. Uh, no, they did not take him out so that they could bit bad Cinderella in Japan. Ooh. <laughs> Topical. Uh, then we have Taichi Naruta, who is the ballet teacher at uh, the Koka Academy. He's also Ai's uncle. He is a genuinely very nice guy. Also, he's gay, too. Yay. The um, I'm still not over the way they drop that information. The way that they the way that they drop the information is that at uh, a funeral that I, her mother, and uh, Taichi are at, the mom mentions that uh, 
the people are spreading rumors about how the Narita siblings are the biggest sluts in town. Uh, who have slept with every man, and there's only two of them, and, and I'm like, one's that, a dude. That, that is a wild way to just drop that information. Loved it. And then we have the uh, the senpais uh, of the the second class. You kind of each have a girl in the first class that they take under. There is Tomoe Ta- uh, Takae. She is also the class president, which makes her um, Saga Sugimoto, Saga Sugimoto's senpai. Then there is Risa Na- uh, Nakayama, who is uh, Sadasa senpai. She is a Sadasa describes her as a Latin beauty. Uh, she uh, gets told that she would be great playing villainous female roles, uh, and she is she kind of is annoyed by Sadasa at first, but she kind of warms up to see the person who Sadasa is. It is kind of Sadasa's biggest champion and defender from the other second years. And then there's this bitch. <laughs> Hidri Nojima. She is uh, Ai's senpai. She is a beautiful Mutsumeyaku candidate who essentially has been described as like one of the top candidates in the second the second year class. She is an absolute bitch pudding. Oh um, my god. She is very two-faced. She likes to stir trouble to, with uh, everybody to get what she wants and then acts like she's never done anything wrong in her life. So playing uh, Kozaboro is Jonah Scott. Playing I- Akia is Caleb Yen. Playing uh, the Phantom or Mr. Ondo is River Kanoff. Playing Taichi is Aaron Campbell. Playing Ta- uh, Tomomi is Shara Kirby. Playing Risa is Terry Doty. And playing Hedri is Brent April. Jonah Scott, who's playing Jonah Scott in this anime, uh, has played characters such as Raiden Shuga in 86, Akihito Kaji, Kaji in Given, and Tatsu in Way of the Slideshow, I mean House Husband. Uh, Caleb Yen, you'll know his characters such as Jun Dojima in The Gymnastic Samurai, Fred po- uh, Porlock in Moriarty the Patriot, and Tetsuri uh, Arabaki in No Gun's Life. Uh, River Kanoff has played Fias in Shiraneko Project Zero Chronicle. Uh, Aaron Campbell is Jigen, uh, Jingo Raichi in Blue Lock, uh, Nakano in the Health, uh, Nak- Nakano in the Help of Fox Senko-san, and Raizo Kurima in Revenger, Shara Kirby, you'll know as, uh, Karin Asuka in Love Live Nijigasaki Girls High School, Ryo in Taisho Otome Fairy Tale, and Lucky in Tokyo 24th Ward, Terry Doty, you'll know as characters such as, uh, Hirara Hazama in Assassination Classroom, um, uh, Ume Aihara in Citrus, and Kumi Joro in Kakashi Goto, and Bird April, you'll know his characters such as Ritsu in Assassination Classroom, Miku in Darling in the Franks, and I Mizuno in Zombieland Saga. <gasps> Good job. Where do we t- even t- start? Okay, so this was something that Steph brought to my attention when I was going through this, and I. She's 100% right. Jonah Scott as Kozaburo is just Shigure Soma again. Except he... for Shigure Soma's John Bergmeier. Okay, I know that, but this is... <laughs> Kozaburo is... Jonah, very specifically, is Jonah, but Kozaburo is Shigure in that he is hot, he is suave, and he seems and like... He's a manipulative little bitch. He's kind of a manipulative little bitch, in the re- especially in the regards that he just steals Akia's Twitter. 
Just a I will conquer that frog. <laughs> That's like one of my favorite eye lines. Oh. I will conquer wait, that frog. Wait, wait, wait. Is Jonas Scott playing the dad? Yeah, she's playing. She plays. Co- he, she. Okay, you know the guy, the older guy, Kozaboro, that keeps stealing uh, Aki's Twitter? That's Jonas Scott. That's Jonas yes. Scott. Some that say it's Scott. a good change, some say it's a bad change. Jonas Scott. Yes. yes. But yeah, yeah, it's just Jonas Scott G- playing Jonas Scott. Sorry, Gigi's like Gigi's kind of having that woman that that one that one meme of the woman trying to like put the math equation together in her head to this. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, I really do like Jonah as Kozaboro because he just has this very um, nonchalant. He's got this idea that he is naturally talented, and you can tell he knows he's naturally talented, but not in, like, the way that, like, Say is. He feels a little more... He does not like to be a passive observer. He likes to be an active observer. He is an active shitster. He's an active participant. And it is very clear that, like... He, I do believe he really does care for Sarasa Watanabe, and I genuinely do believe that, like, in some regards, he potentially would have preferred her over Akia being in the positions where they are now. Well, of and course. I think that, and I think that in itself creates this interesting little tension between Kozaboro and Akia that I think really comes across, where it's like you can tell they're kind of bugging each other. But you can definitely tell they're a little uncomfortable because there's that sort of level of they both recognize this girl is so much better at you and would have been better than you. But because of how fucking sexist this culture is, you're lucky. I also think on some level, um, one of the really big like episodes that really gives you insight into uh, Sadasa's life is when you see from Akia's perspective uh, them growing up doing things when he, when I finds him in the room. And that's when Aki is being played as a child by Afia Yu. But um, I, part of me wonders if Kozaboro is as tense as he is and pushy as he is because Kozaboro also says you need to date her. Uh, and Sadasa hears it um, one of the things it basically says in, in in the backstory is at the time, Akia didn't realize what was going to happen, but Akia threw a, 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 a younger than him Sardasa under the bus to his biological grant, to what I'm going to assume is um, not Kozaburo's mom. Because I think it's implied Kozaburo married into the family and took the family name. Mm. There, um, there, there's definitely... God, that brings a little bit of the Soma family lineage into this uh, Kabuki <laughs> family. It is... He is just... Kozaburo is just Shigure. My, he's maybe less but, transparently nefarious, at least right now. Kozaburo has not fucked Saris's mom. Um, oh, God. Wait. Well... Shit. No, fuck. Wait. Yes, he did fuck Saris' mom. Oh my god. Okay. That's how Saris' mom- That's how Saris would be there. We need Uh, to get off of these tree branches. 
we okay. do not know where these branches lead. Let me. But what I was sorry, you go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Gigi. No, you go ahead because no, I have a question to pose. But was that? No, Megan. Oh, I'm gonna finish this. But no, I think one of the things that you can really hear between uh, Akia and and Kozaburo, which is besides Akia's just genuine annoyance at Kozaburo, you know, being Kozaburo, because Kozaburo is very very lax and stuff. Part of me wonders if Kozaburo figured out it was Akia's reasoning why Sadasa basically got told she- by the the grandmother. Because remember, she isn't told very nicely to like stop doing Kabuki and stuff with Akia. She's yelled at. She is basically like, yelled at, and her grandpa is point- like, "How dare you fucking yell at my daughter!" Like to the point where to the point where Kozaburo has to beg forgiveness from her grandpa Ken. To even, to even, like, see, um, Sadasa. And I think it's implied that I don't think Kozaburo's actually allowed to see her anymore. Because the way that he interacts with Sadasa is you never see them genuinely, except for when she's a child, talk about, talk to her. It's always through, it's always through Akia and his, his Twitter and all that fun stuff. Um, so part of me wonders if he knows that Akia was inadvertently the cause of Sarsa being kicked away from the family. And that's why there's some tension between them. Do you think he forced that, he pushed the relationship because he effectively needed an in to have a relationship with Sarsa? That, or he did it as a way to psychologically punish and fuck with Akia. Honestly, both are extremely valid, very likely options. How very Shigure of him. Kozaburo is great, and Jonas got Anyway. I'm I'm not going to harp on it. It's just exactly what I look at him. He looks like Shigure. He he acts like Shigure. But he sounds like Jonas Scott, which means he sounds very hot and very suave. And he does a great job at it. So, Gigi, what was your question? So, sort of, like, leading into that was I was kind of hoping to get some kind of context clues from Caleb Yen's performance as to the answer to this question. And I'm still totally mystified because I I don't know if it's just a mystery because it hasn't been done in the manga yet or maybe there, there, there just is no answer. But I was really kind of hoping that I would get some vocal cues from this do we think that Akia actually likes Sarasa, or is this just I, I like don't, gonna blow up in their faces? I I think they genuinely don't want to date each other. That's what I, I think too, and I didn't because no, I remember, it's hundred percent. They I think they think they they kind of feel like the straight couple of the queer kids that are staying together to get their parents who don't understand off their backs, if that makes sense. I mean, that's what I was thinking, because I was thinking that they were both gay and they're like, stay together for the kids, whatever. I think it's less that, and I think it's more... The other one is jealous of the other one. Sarasa is jealous of Akia because Akia will always get to be everything that she wanted to as a child because remember she didn't really want to be i don't think she wanted to be um lady oscar as a child she wanted to be um in kabuki yeah she wanted to be sukiroku as a child i think that they're both jealous of each other for different reasons too 
Mm-hmm. And I was just, I was kind of hoping, and this is my only like actual criticism I have of any performance in this really. I was just kind of hoping for Caleb to kind of like get behind it one way or the other so I could make my decision. Because I made my decision when Sarasa said, I think we should date or I think like you should be my boyfriend or something like that. And in that moment, I kind of knew that she wasn't really into it. But I was just kind of hoping like that Caleb's performance would like sway me one way or the other to tell whether or not he was into Sarasa. And it just it didn't do that for me. I And that's I nothing think, against yeah. him. It's just I really was kind of hoping for that personally. And I didn't I didn't catch it either way. I think there's a different interpretation. But I think to me, Caleb's performance is still really strong as Akia. And I think it does convey that there is this very complicated relationship and I think it's very clear it is a relationship that is not built on genuine like emotion for each other. It's not built on love and it's not even built completely on hate. I I wouldn't even say it's hate. It's envy. to, To me it's a to me it's a a relationship based off of in some way mutual respect for the other one's ambitions but it's also at least from from Sadasa's end it's I think in a sense she's the one who asks him out before because she overhears Kozuru not only does she ask him out because Kozuburo says you need to ask Sadasa out remember she also overhears Kozaboro threaten Akia yeah. about his position in as the as the the next in line to be uh, this head of the family. He outright says, "I may not be the person who does it, but you damn well know that your grandfather takes my word into account." Well, it's kind and of it's kind of like a marriage of convenience for that's exactly what it that's exactly the, yeah, what I was trying to get at because um, now her daddy can talk to her all the time through and like Sira knowing through Akia, and you know she God, can get God that's such a great reference to Sira knowing, <laughs> especially given when we talk in the next session about another like famous theatrical play slash movie. That they taught, they actually bring up that I thought was a very interesting uh, reference to make for a a show a uh, Jose manga that got an anime that's kind of aimed at like that came out in like twenty twenty. Did this come out twenty twenty one or twenty twenty? Uh, I don't know. Yes, <laughs> one of those. I, a rev- I really like. For a, it's it's essentially it references a movie that is at least thirty to forty years old. Um, <laughs> well, I'm I not. Think I'm, I'm saying that Caleb didn't give a strong performance because he did. I just wanted this one. You wanted it to thing. come out clearer to you yes. that there was this like dislike and or I distaste. I didn't. I will get say it. one thing: the manga throws another wrench into that, and I'm not saying. Okay, how. good. Don't tell me. Um, no. Don't. Please. Don't tell me. I don't. Don't want fucking to tell me. I'm. You know, I'm for buying the this second season of this anime that's never coming. <laughs> Please, oh. my damn, please. But uh, no, one of the things I really want to talk about that I think's in Caleb's performance is this genuine sense of guilt. A hundred percent. I feel 100%. it. Because, I hear it. Because, because if you think about it, remember everything, Sarasa getting pushed away from something that she loves was his fault indirectly. And I think the thing that really kind of sells you on that moment, it's not something that Caleb does, it's what Afia does. 
It's when Grandpa Ken is leaving after yelling at Kozaburo. And he stops and talks to Akia and says, Hey, I'm so sorry to scare you. Sarasa won't be coming over as much anymore, but you can always come visit her. And it's like, he doesn't know that it was Akia's fault that that uh he got pushed away. That she's out now. That that happened. So I guess that there's the sense of guilt and jealousy. It's, it's Kayla's performance and I think kind of their whole relationship carries this weird mix of genuine respect, guilt, uh, hate, a little bit of hate and jealousy. And it's just very interesting to play off and we've been talking about this for a while. So let's talk about the two teachers. Uh, so, so talking about the two teachers, we have I think the one that kind of has like the most really parts to do is actually uh, Mr. Ando, Mr. aka the Phantom. So I'm going to talk about Tai Chi first. I genuinely like Eren's performance as this very kind of calming effect to I. He's her rock. And, mm-hmm. and God, God, fuck, fuck Eyes Mom. Fuck Eyes Mom so much. We're not mentioning her, but she's played by Caitlin Elizabeth, and she does a very good job at playing very snooty indifference. She, she is an indi- she plays the indifferent chain smoking wine mom perfectly. Um But uh Tai Chi is this very gentle type of performance, which I'm not super used to hearing Aaron Campbell be. Um, I'm very much used to him being a little bit more gruff. Um, I really liked it. I genuinely, I want to talk about him more, but I also want to wait until we get to actually talking about I to talk about kind of their big episode. Uh, I kind of like how he has this more youthful and bright look on things. Also, wow, my seeing double. Yes, those are twins. <laughs> um, and then at the beginning, just, oh no, it looks like your little cousin's caught by the cherry tree. I know! I- and then there's Mr. Ando, who, by the way, in the Japanese is played by Chinitsu Suwabe in the most ink site. That is their ink <sighs> that is their ink suit casting in Japan was getting Mr. Ando to be played by Miss Jinichi Suwabe. Excuse me while I because- change the language settings on my hey. He also fucking looks like him. But man, River Kanoff really impressed me as Mr. Ando. Who is this guy? Who who is he? He's, he's done, I think, a lot more writing for video games and stuff. I think he's just, done, like, writing and directing. He's done a lot more background stuff, but he's... Really fucking good yeah, as Mr. Yeah, I thought it was fucking Chris Wakehamp the whole time. And then I was like, no. But this is, like, a different kind of tingle than the Chris Wakehamp tingle. So I'm like, who are you? <laughs> this guy, River Kanoff plays him as somebody who I would believe has played the Phantom of the Opera. Is it? I think it's Kanoff, actually. I'm not 100% sure. Whatever. The dude could have easily played the Phantom. I think the thing I love about River in particular is that he's just this incredibly... This is a teacher. This is a guy who is very tired. He has put a lot of work in, (laughs) but you can tell he gives a shit about his kids. Oh, yeah. Like, that's one of the biggest things I think Say talks about is that he he very I think they said he's been there for like what like eight years, ten years at this point. About ten years, yeah. Yeah. That um he very clearly still has a passion for acting. It's just that his body cannot anymore because of his accident and that really fucked him up for a while. 
But I think the thing that I like about him is, is that he's always willing to push the girls, but never be outright malicious to them. It, it, he, at least intentionally, because he does fuck with Sadasa at one point by saying that she'll never be the top star because she can't act. She's a mimic. It's basically just a general, like, he is a harsh person, but he is fair. He is harsh in that he will tell you the weaknesses that you don't know you have, and he, he will give you the clue for how to actively change and work towards fixing that weakness. It is a general level of fair and constructive criticism in a way that is meant to nurture you to grow instead of giving you a fucking eating disorder. Yeah, there's a difference between um, you're a mimic and no fatties. And I can tell you from 100% personal experience that Mr. It's Mr. Ando, right? Yes. Yes. He, or the fan is the, you can call me there. He is the teacher that you want to have or your acting coach that you want to have who will give you constructive criticism with room to change, but also room to express yourself in the material that you're given, as opposed to the ballet teacher who's like, bitch, no fatties, get out. And then, like personal experience. So I think like in the way that his voice is portrayed here, you know, eight to 10 years of teaching, that's enough time to lose your fucking soul. But when your soul, when your soul is really in acting and is in, is technically in doing something else, but you can do that sort of along with nurturing other people. I'm not saying that he's going to live vicariously through these girls. Cause I don't believe that's the case. But I think he's definitely not that person. Right. I think it's clear he's not bitter because of the life he lost, but I think he has found new joy in the lives he will nurture. But teaching is hard, remember, so you still lose your soul. And remember, he's the one who believes in Sadasa the most out of all of the teachers. It was under his influence that she got in him yeah. in another thing that she got in. Yes. She was quote unquote unconventional. And you can, I think in the comments would say, the talks would say, he actively says that he wants to make I a star. I, I mean, not I, uh, Sarasa a star. But uh, the thing that I like about him too is that, and I want to compliment all of the teachers, actors, is that when they're doing their auditions in the last three episodes of the show, that it definitely does not feel like fucking talk no jutsu when they're giving them their critiques and talking about things, it feels like a genuine, like the way that they, they're directed to act and speak feels like a genuine going through your mind at an audition, as opposed to, I'm going to sit here and explain to you why this is evil. Yeah, yeah. And why you're this is this. And I think the thing that I really, really want to compliment is when he decides to go up and be uh, Romeo. I love that part so much. And every all the other girls really freak out except for Sarasa. And then the comp the conversation after the auditions go up that he has with um Oh god, what the hell's her name? Uh, uh Sugimoto. Yeah, with Sawa. Where they, they talk about the movie and I just love his delivery of his well, this is a whole lot better than you coming in and crying on me. <laughs> does, does, do they do that? I mean, they do, but this is do, much more productive. It's more productive. Uh, and it's just like this very matter-of-fact thing, and he doesn't really hold back. Uh, and then we have, are you guys, or am I good to start leading the conversation elsewhere? Yes, uh, I'm telling you. I didn't even you. get to talk about Aaron. Okay. Oh, whoops. Oh, 
Yeah, you. I talked about him, but you guys didn't. The different no, did kind not. of tingle for Mr. Anjo playing Romeo. I I God do bless. really like. I do really like River in particular. I think he does. He's probably one of the biggest surprises of this dub. But I also really want to shout out Aaron as uh, as Uncle Naruto because he's just a very genuinely helpful, kind, supportive rock in eyes, genuinely tragic, dramatic life, and just. But there's this level of, like, unconditional love that you can tell he absolutely has for her. In a way that you can absolutely tell that, like, it comes through. It is sweet. It is earnest. But it's also still, like, family. In that I can tell he would probably ease there for her. But he would probably bust her chops a little bit if ever given a chance to. And also just being there and basically just straight up being the most emotional thing you can do to somebody who is traumatized is to give them the key, which is an incredibly powerful thing. If you're ever feeling unwell, if you're ever feeling unsafe, this is a spare key to my house. My doors are always open. So yeah. I think Aaron in particular is just a very sweet performance, but also a lot of fun and very interesting too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we could talk. Our, we could talk about the senpais then. All right, let's talk about some senpais. I'm going to start with uh, with uh, uh, Shara. Yeah, unfortunately, Tomomi doesn't really get the most to do, but I've genuinely enjoy uh, Shara's work in things I've seen. I genuinely really like this kind of heart-to-heart moment she has with Sawa at the last episode when they're out by the uh, sign of the school. And they're kind of having this moment where it's like, yeah, you're always going to be the class president. You're always going to be the rock. You're going to have to be the person who holds it together. But you're going to have somebody in your life who says all the shit you can't say because they're given that opportunity. There's no shame in you being this. You're always going to be remembered. And I really like that part of her character and how she's very nice, but she's not really there as much as the other two. Correct. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she because she is like has a lot of responsibility and she's doing her best, but she herself is still a nice person in general. And then yeah. And then and then there's there's Terry's Rika, who I really enjoy that Terry Doty gets to play a character like this. Because I feel like Terry is really few and far used between. I love Risa. She's great. Yeah. I I love Risa in the sense that she's she's also one of the older girls that got gets into Coca. I think she's also probably near her twenties. She's she's maybe like twenty, twenty one or something like that, I know, I think. Yeah, I think she says she's like twenty. Which is interesting because I think she's she's not only a lot more mature physically, she's a lot more mature emotionally. Mm-hmm. And she's the one who kind of realizes that Sadasa isn't as much as of a troublemaker as she thinks she is. She's just very boisterous and passionate. And she's kind of the first person who I think starts to see past Sarasa's very golden retriever exterior to that there's something fucking going on under there. And Terry plays her with this very sense of like, 
she's a little bit annoyed by Saurus's constant antics and giving up and, and issues, but it's very much that friend of yours who's like, okay, look, I need you to stop crying and focus on how cool you are. And I think that her voice being a lot more mature and harsh compared to Hedry's, Brittany, Brent April's Hedry, who is very soft and sweet and bitch and sheep's clothing plays off each other so nicely. If I had to say Risa in particular, Risa is that friend who will hear you talking shit about yourself and saying, I'm worthless, I'm pathetic, and will basically say, hey, I love you, and if you st won't stop insulting yourself, I'm going to kick your ass. That is very much the sort of vibe and relationship she eventually does adopt when it comes to Sarza, and, like, that very much comes during the sports festival arc, which it's mm -hmm. very wild to say there's a sports festival arc, which is a very different sports festival because everybody's cosplaying Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Hell yeah, baby! <laughs> you just cut out completely, but I heard your excitement still. I said, hell yeah, baby. But, no, I think Terry's a very interesting choice for a character like Risa, but you could definitely tell... There's that level of, like, stern... Like, she has kind of played through a lot of the mind games and the bullshit, especially when it comes to Hedri, where she's kind of had to work with the stress and the and the stuff that comes with the theater. Because even if work is guaranteed, the stress comes at the roles you get. And the roles you want aren't always the roles that work best for you or the ones people think are best for you. Where it's basically just that she's assumed, like, oh, she's gonna be, like, the evil bitches or something, when that's not really what she wants to do. But because of her looks and her attitude, that is what people will assume she is. So, so she kind of does adopt Sarza in that she wants to be what she wants to be, and you gotta push yourself and not let what other people think of you affect you. So when I was listening to this, I was just kind of like, oh, it's Terry Doty playing Terry Doty. <laughs> like, much like with David Wald and Mr. Onadera, I felt that Risa had a lot of Terry Doty qualities in her and in her performance. I mean, I listened to her podcast, which is a very good podcast. If y'all don't listen, it's called Obscure Chatter. And nice. there are some very cool things and insightful things that she says in there um, about her life, about acting, about whatever she feels like talking about that day. And I honestly, like, I, this is going to sound weird, but like through this character, I felt like I was listening to an episode of her podcast. Oh my but that's a good thing though, because Risa is helping Sarasa you know, get through times and telling her how it is and supporting her. I don't know. Sometimes when I listen to any podcast, I just like, I try and pick out like if I'm going to spend two to three hours with these people in my ears, like if they actually are worth listening to by how much, I guess, empathy is in their voice. I don't know. But I really enjoyed this, and it's one of the first times I've actually been able to pick Terry Doty out in anything. So I was very excited about that. Like, immediately, I was like, oh, there she is. So, I don't know. I really liked her performance as Risa, honestly. Like, I was excited that she wasn't playing a little boy or, like, 
um, an older skewing character, like, uh, what is her name in that anime? Really like Morioka? You know, the one where they're in the, the video game? Morioka Morioka? Oh, yes. Oh, you, I know what you're yeah. talking about. Recovery of an MMO junkie. Yes. That one. So I was excited mm-hmm. that, like, she finally got a chance to play a young adult teenage girl. And, like, it, that it fit in with everybody else. So, I don't know. That made me happy. I like when Terry Doty gets work. <laughs> that sounds weird. But, like, I like hearing her in things. Like, it just... I don't know. It's cool. I, I, I like hearing her life stories. And then I like listening to her, like, in her work. Is that is that weird? No, 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 no. It makes perfect sense. It's... I think she's got a very interesting tone of voice. And I think it is always hard... hard okay. You know what? This is actually going to come into this discussion in a second. But I think there's a lot of... Anime is interesting because there's a lot of different unique vocal registers. And there are a lot of people who are good actors, but always aren't good for a lot of what anime is offering. Yes, I agree. (laughs) Which I think is going to be very sort of meta-relevant to the conversation we're about to have about Hijiri in a second. But I think Risa does a very good I think Terry in particular is a very great fit for a character like Risa and I think she's mm-hmm. a very talented person who when given the right role and given good opportunities can really make some magic with it mm-hmm. so fucking Brynn then there's this bitch derogatory y'all ever so... seen King's Game <laughs> oh my god no I like to forget that that exists <laughs> so like I associate Bryn with... So you ever been to a Cinnabon? Yeah. You ever just been to a Cinnabon, <laughs> ordered one of those things, and you're like, Do yeah, you mean a cinnamon I, roll? I could just imagine this, but just with an anime girl voiceover on it. And it's just like, yep, that is a lot of what I associate with a lot of Bryn April voice roles in particular. So I hate to cut you off, mm-hmm. but just it just reminded me of something I saw on TikTok once, and I think it was like fucking Kroger, and it was it was a cinnamon roll, and it was this is the proper way to eat a cinnamon roll, and it was with tweezer, it was like with uh, chopsticks, pulling the middle of the cinnamon roll out and unraveling it from the inside out and then eating it. And let me tell you, I have never wanted to declare war on another business as hard as I wanted to declare war on that. <laughs> That's not how you eat a fucking cinnamon roll, you dumb fucking hipster. Uh, what? Also, I like I also like when Taco Bell puts their cinnamon balls in my mouth. Anyway, bitch pudding. Um, wow, so- <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, like, I feel bad that I was just like, and, oh man, I lost all of my train of thoughts. What the fuck are you, wait, like, chopsticks? Yeah, I'll, I'll, let me try to find no, it. No, okay. so, so you want to eat what? the best part of the cinnamon roll first, right? Which is the middle, and then you, like, watch it unravel, and you... Like, don't even have to eat the gross outer part if you're full from the middle. It, Here, what's like found Hijiri, it, it, a cinnamon it, roll like unraveling. It, it's like... Here, I've posted it in our chat. Look at this fucking crime against humanity. I don't want... <laughs> you don't just... It's like, you eat the whole cinnamon roll. You work around the ravels. Like, it's like... 
You don't just dig into the middle. But like that's the best part. But there's foreplay involved when it comes to getting to that gooey center, you know? I don't want to have sex jokes about a cinnamon roll right now. Oh, it's like a hot dog on the 4th of July. Oh my god. Like, I don't know why, but Gigi, I love Fucking you. Kroger, how dare you? It's, that's just like, you gotta work for it. You can't just, it, I'm sorry, the way that Gigi said... I don't want to talk about sex jokes with eating a cinnamon roll just gave me such Jennifer Coolidge vibes. Thank you. It's what I aspire to be. Oh, it's like a, I'm like a hot dog on the 4th of July. Oh, it makes me want a hot dog real bad. Hot dog's bad. Please watch Legally Blonde. If you're a woman, it's legal. It's a legal rite of passage. I want you to know I saw Legally Blonde the musical on Father's Day. Fun fact. Your dad has good fucking taste. I'm jealous taste. of your existence. There, right there. God, like the. the God, if you do not stop me, I will sing all of Gay or Your. We need to stop. We've been here for a bit, and we still have. Anyway, let's talk about fucking Hijri. Okay, my point I was trying to get at before I talked about Kroger's crimes against food is that I associate Bryn April. I know she's a very talented actor and is versatile with a lot of things. I associate a lot of Bryn's roles with. The anime cinnamon roll girls. The naturally cutesy, adorable, see them in, in all the things. You hear them and you're like, want to protect, want to hold, moe moe cute kind of shit. Like, that is of type that Bryn is very good and adept at, at playing in regards to anime. Like Cyan from Show by Rock. Yeah, like she's got a lot of work, but you you know you know what I mean. So it's so fascinating seeing her play the most mean girl, nasty bitterness in her like double double me. God, she's such a bitch, and the show knows it. I love the the beef. Her and Risa had. It's like, why would you do that to her? And she's just kind of like, I'm kind of jealous at her. Isn't it unfair that that first year showing us off and trying to do that? God, you're being such a a bitch. I know. And when she said it herself, I'm like, oh, (gasps) that's scathing. No wonder she wants to play Scarlett O'Hara for the cultural festival. (laughs) See, <laughs> fuck you, Gone with the Wind. I but- love this though because uh, unlike Andrew's cinnamon roll personas only, uh, I have seen Brin April go completely unhinged in King's Game, which nobody else watched but three of us. <laughs> Look, and- I've seen I made I've seen Attack on I'm- Titan. I've seen her Astoria. She's fucking great as Astoria in particular. Shut up, Aaron! It- Don't tell me I- what happened. Brin April, get- I'm really behind. <laughs> Oh no no! Did you watch? Did you ever watch season three, part two? Uh, season three, know. part one. Okay. Oh, part one. Okay. Question: Did you see the part where they kidnap Aaron and, and tie him up in the crystal basement? Yes. Okay, so she gets the best line in the entire show, which is smacking Aaron and telling him to shut up. Okay, I do remember that, but this is like a completely different type of unhinged. This is like. Super Bitch Ojo-sama unhinged. And this is oh, this is my brand. And I am here for oh, this Jose motherfucking bullshit. Like we're in goddamn glass mask. 
I was going to say, she's like the glass mask character. Fucking love glass mask. Oh, my dream dub. Never will it happen, but it will in my heart. She, I think the thing that really sells me about Hijiri is that she does every awful thing with a smile and sounds so sweet. And she's so, she's, she's, I think the reason why she's such a good actress is because she's able to be such a bitch and get away with it. Because, like, she's not only just bitchy to, um, bitchy to, like, Sadasa and Risa, she's actually kind of bitchy to I. She's bitchy to like, everybody. She's everybody. She's but the way that she, she's, but she's a different type of bitchy to I than she is to everybody else. Well, she's the fake positivity bitch. Yeah, because she's jealous. I think, yeah. I think the reason she's trying, she wants to break I, but I doesn't work with Hijri's level of meanness. Like, Sarza's affected, Risa feels the insecurities, but I... I's broken in a way that she has yet to really crack. I think the thing is with Sarza is that um... He, a person like Hijri gives Sarza legitimate triggers. Um, and Hijri is just so awful but Prin plays her so oh well God. because she, she play like it's such a natural mean girl performance and not like mean girl as in on on Tuesdays we wear pink on Wednesdays we wear pink mean girl she's not god is she anime Regina George she's like I think even a little more bully than Regina George because at least Regina and George got redeemed at the end but I don't think I, there's any redeeming for her she, she's she's not like I'm biting I'm biting my tongue don't tell me what if happens I had, if I had to say it it's like she is she's a prof- she's she is very much the Karu of her generation but where Karu Karu is being the the no filter very brash like you need to get your head out of your ass type of person for their gen. Because uh, that's essentially what Hidri is, uh, according to um, the... According to Tomi, uh, Tomomi, that she's the one who, who has no filter and says what the class rep wants to say, but can't say it. The thing is that she's not doing it for the betterment of everybody. She's doing it for the betterment of herself. Yep. I think the dif- I think the difference between Karu and Hijri is that Karu wants to be the best playing fair and square. Hijri wants to be the best by crushing the competition in any way she can, even if that means they're forced to drop out. And being and she almost takes Sadasa out by spreading lies about her. Remember, she, she she tries to pose that a bunch of stuff, and it's Risa's like, okay, that's beyond fucked up even for you. She's like the girl in Carrie who dumps the bucket of blood over her head. Yeah, yeah. She's got that's... hers coming. She's got hers coming, and she, and and she's just and Bryn just plays her brilliant. It's. Love it. uh, it's definitely it's, one of the more intri- it's definitely one of like the wildest Brent April performances because she plays this level of like nastiness in a way that feels effortless, which is genuinely like not something I expected from Bryn. Like I know Bryn can play more than cutesy characters, but I'm not used to 
characters that are not only just this mean, but are this scathing. Okay, this is going to sound a little fucked up, potentially a little triggering, but... This is the bitch that won't stop until you have scars. Yeah. And and she and she's willing to do it. Um are we ready to move on to our next set of characters? Go. Mm-hmm. Like the senpais, are- uh, especially Terry and Brynn in particular, they're great. Yes, yeah, so let's talk about the main kind of core cast of girls in the 100 and uh, the 100 uh the 100th class the squad there is yeah there is class representative sawa sugimoto she is a total coca nerd and she was also training to be a prima ballerina before she decides to go into doing coca there's karu hoshino she is a third generation coca actress her mother and grandmother Especially her grandmother were famous, uh, famous members of the troupe. She's also the oldest girl, I think, in their class because she gets into um, she gets into Coca on her last try. There is Akia A- Ayako Yamada, who is a shy, very down on her luck, the most normal girl who has ever normal girled. Uh, her parents run a bakery. Her sister works a normal job. But she has the voice of an angel and was uh, pushed to get into the school by Mr. Onodera because of it. And then there are the Sawada, the Sawada twins, Chika and Chiaki. Chika is the kind of more low-key, initially most talented one. She gets in. She gets into Coca twice, actually. But she rejects her first time because her sister can't be with her and they do everything together. But where... Chica is the more upbeat, outgoing, and like kind of extroverted sister. She's the more introverted, but because a uh, senior, a old senior actress can't tell them apart at first, she kind of gets her sister into trouble and they have their first kind of fight, which is the whole like twins always do everything together uh, type of thing. Playing uh, Sawa Sugimoto is Corey Pettit. Playing Karu Hoshino is Amalie. Playing Akio Yamada is Megan Shipman. And playing Chika Sawada is Monica Rial. And playing Chiaki Sawada is Natalie Rial. So, uh, Corey Pettit, you'll know his characters such as Megu Suzuya in Astro and in Love, Hibiki in My Home Hero, and Fujisaki in The Maid I, recent- the Maid I Hired Recently is Mysterious. Uh, Amelie, you'll know for a lot of things uh, such as Zero in Dawn of the Witch, Princess, uh, Princess, uh, the royal penguin in uh, Kimono Friends. That's why she has a million subscribers. Oh my god. That's <laughs> in a d- Akari Seto and others. <laughs> That's a deep pull. I, I fucking life. This is the end of my career! Um. <laughs> shit. And Akari Seto on the other side, Picnic. Megan Shipman, you'll know his characters such as Hanamaru Kin- uh, Kunikita in Love, Life, Sunshine. Homura in Dr. Stone. And Chisei uh, Asugawa in SSSSS Dainanazan. Monica Rial, you'll know as Izumi Tachibana in both seasons of A3. Miria and Claymore in Hondomachi in It Invaded. And Natalie Rial, you'll know as Nazuna Nanakusa in Call of the Night, Rui Tachibana in Domestic Girlfriend, and Nina Sugiwara in O Maidens in Your Savage Season. And for everybody who's asking, yes, Monica and Natalie are older sister Monica, younger sister Natalie. In the Japanese version, the twins are played by actual twin Seiyus, the Matsuda sisters, Rias, uh, Risei, 
and Satsubi. I genuinely didn't know when I was working on this that the Sayus <laughs> in Japanese were twins. That's actually a pretty wild detail. But actually getting the twins in this to be played by a pair of IRL, Actual sisters. IRL voice acting sisters is in itself pretty impressive too. And I think they're the sisters who kind of get the least developed, the characters in the ma- of the main core of the class that get the least development. I I really do, though, like that Natalie is uh, actually the higher pitched twin compared to Monica, because I think a lot of people expect Monica to be the higher pitched twin all the time or the higher pitched voice based on her career. And I really like that she's a lot more dark and kind of grounded and very much like she doesn't want to put herself out there at first, but then she realizes she needs to if she's ever going to get what she wants for herself. Because I like in the fight that they have that it's, no, I don't get what I want because I always have to wait for you. The conflict and they kind of- the conflict between the two of them is very much the conflict of them realizing while they are sisters and do everything together, they are still their own person and they have to figure they have to be honest with their own wants. Because eventually they're not going they may not even end up in the same troop together. That's true. And once you and- learn your own strengths and Yeah. It's it's like we wanted to be the twin bunny girls. It's like no, in 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 a sense, they both want to be the Juliet. They don't want to have to play second fiddle to the other sister. And unfortunately, I think Natalie kind of doesn't get as much to do in the conflict as Monica does. But I really do think this is actually some of the better work I've heard of Natalie. Natalie does do a lot of stuff over with Sentai. And as much as I like a lot of Sentai dubs, I really like her in O Maidens. I think she's great in O Maidens. Uh, unfortunately, my own personal feeling is that there's a lot of work that needs to be done with Sentai in a directorial quality. So I really liked her and I really liked Monica. What did you guys think? Well, so, you know, I've, I've said this multiple times that I like when Monica puts her big girl voice on. And while this wasn't exactly that, it was darker than her normal super happy sunshine all the time characters. So I really enjoyed that. Um, I watch a lot of Sentai dubs with Natalie in them. And Megan, I think you're right. that there, There may be some kind of thing over there. I don't know. That makes it a little less than less than perfect i guess but i i really enjoyed her i think much more than almost anything else i've heard her in in this so i definitely think that the writing and the direction and maybe even the casting because she got to work and play against her sister helped it out a little Mm bit um these weren't my favorite characters just I mean, they were, I, I, they were there, so... I think, they're, I think they're fun characters, but they very much have the, the kind of added benefit that they don't get as much to do. They have an interesting conflict, but I think it's definitely less engaging than some of the other characters have to work with. But I think both Monica and Natalie are definitely delightful in their own rights, and they do a good job sounding very similar, while also sounding very 
distinct when they need to be for their own character arcs. See, I didn't think they sounded alike at all. Like, I could definitely tell the difference between both of them. Yeah. Immediately. Like, I think they're trying to be somewhat similar, but they are still in itself pretty distinct. But I, I kind of like that, though, just because it's like twins aren't the same people. Nope. And this isn't a show that was 100% going with the tropey. Like, they do have, I think, the most tropey story of everything, but I think that they are in themselves not like the old racist uh, Lady in the Tramp Siamese cats. Oh, Jesus. Oh, well, where the f- What? They're twins. I, They're twins. Yes. It's not like Shota Aoi playing against Shota Aoi in Ensemble Stars. Oh, I thought you were going to say Pop Team Epic. No, we're talking about a Andrew good doesn't... anime. It's called Ensemble Stars. Okay, hey, no. okay. Pop Team Epic you, is also very good. You shut your whore mouth. How dare you? <laughs> Pop Team Epic. How dare you, how dare you make fun of the world's greatest Final Fantasy fourteen marketing device? I should device. say that any anime with Shota Aoi is a good anime, but... Ah, uh, <laughs> you. Anyway, no, I'm I'm actually excited. This isn't my favorite Natalie Real role because that's actually a Sentai show that I don't know if we're ever going to talk about, but we may one day if I have anything to what say is about it. it. Hey, put it in the chat. What is it? It's comes wish. Yeah. One. Oh. Mm. Maybe. I I have still yet to watch that. I, I own that. Halfway through, <laughs> I can't get any further. So that's the look. Last. I'm not. I would be down to have a discussion about that one in particular. That's my we'll holdout Valentine's Day episode. That one day, but no, I think I think she's really good here, and Monica's also very good here, and that makes me happy. Like I said, like there's very few negative things I can say about this dub. I will keep my thoughts for Amelie very short and sweet to when she first was arriving in the voice acting scene in Go Sick and she got my dubby for voice actor to watch and I was like, you guys better watch Amelie because she's going to be killing it. She's still killing it. And then there's... (laughs) I... Okay. I'll 100% say this. I am a person who is very, very mixed on dub singing. It's not that... It's not that I think it's bad or I think it's unnecessary. I just sometimes think that maybe the the voice that they pick for the actor doesn't always match the singing voice. Da, da, da. Amelie sings better than the actual say you. Oh my god. Really? I say so that. good. Ooh. Can you yeah. not feel the pain in her voice when she's like singing yeah, that god. in Beach? And yeah, I'm like, okay. losing my mind. So if you don't it, okay, so if you don't know the say you for Karu sings that episode's ending. Okay. Yeah, I would have loved to hear Amelie get to sing the ending to that show. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, like, like genuinely, holy fuck. I'm, like, Amelie genuinely, like, when I was doing my dubbies one year, I almost put her down for underrated performance for this episode alone. That's valid. <sighs> like, she carries the many faces of Karu Hoshino on her shoulders. She is, like... I don't think, I don't think anybody left who we're talking about puts in a bad performance. They all put in performances that could have easily been award nominated. It's insane how well these these women and these people play these characters. Not only do you hear Karu's pain in her singing the school anthem when she's running on the beach, and you can hear her voice cracking. Mm-hmm. 
I also think that when she's going through that entire episode and you hear how broken he's made her. Where just the, you know, I, I could have loved you. God. And that I, I could have given it all up to have a normal teenage girl life. I wonder, I wondered what that's like. In that, like, because again, we, we've mentioned it a hundred times that Karu is the oldest of the girls in this class. She's failed twice and got in on her last attempt. She wants to be a, a Otoyaku so bad when her, her, her mom and her, her aunt were, her mom and her grandmother were Otoyakus. But the other moment I really want to give the show a shout out for and, uh, on Amelie in this is after Andrew mentioned it before is when they put up the audition results and not only does Karu not get Romeo uh, but Ayaka gets um, Juliet Juliet, and they talk about how how she must have bribed her way with the teachers if she's so low to get it and the absolute fucking anger in Amelie's voice where she yells she comes from a family of bread makers Shut up! What did she do? Bribe them with bread? You're all just jealous that you're not as good as her at singing. I think at, at this than you. I think she said you're just all jealous that you're not as good as someone who makes bread. Yeah, and, and like that level of aut- it was irate anger, and it was just that level was, of like you fucking. She is a d- consummate professional. Mm-hmm. Like. As much as Karu is the person in the class who will say things that obviously Sawa won't because Sawa's class rep. Um, she She's still very fiercely loyal to her friends. And her classmates. Mm-hmm. She knows that she knows that her her failure failures aren't any anything else but herself. And when they're doing the first Romeo and Juliet scene, uh, for the first time when she plays Romeo and they're all on the class with, uh, it's, I think it's, uh, Chika, uh, it's Chika Sawa, uh, uh, no, Chika, Karu, Ayako, and Sadasa. I think also she has probably one of the best comedic deliveries is, look, your read is so bad it traumatized her. <laughs> um, oh no, it's not, uh, no, it is I, it is I. Um, it's like, look, your read was so bad you traumatized her. Um, but she is so about herself and being better about herself, the way that she took care of her body, how she cut off her own hair so that she can get into things more. It's, I love that she is not, Amelie carries that the passion that Karu has, but the pain as well, because that's the thing I love about that episode that is dedicated to just her summer as a high schooler is when she tells people, when she finally lets it out that, and the genuine pain and anger that she thought she had really resonated with someone, but in the end they were just like everybody else who's let the like who's emotionally let her down, and the frustration of why do you all think that I want to quit? It's no, I want to do this not because my my family and my legacy. It's what I've wanted to do with my life, and I hate that no one respects that. And I think the thing that her voice com- why her voice commands respect that way is that she has finally found a place that genuinely appreciates her her passionate her passions god bless 
Yeah, no, she sings fucking That's immaculately. That's my favorite episode. Uh, She's so good and everything it's, she does. It's up there. It's up there with, I think, the... I want to say the last episode is the one where you actually... is the la- Do you see Sarasa do her thing in the last episode or the episode before? What, I think what it's is the her before. thing? Define her... Where she her- does her monologue. Uh, that, that is, is the last typical. episode. Is it? That is the last episode. Okay. Okay, no. Okay, so my other really favorite moment, favorite episode combination is uh, when you get a lot of... Is uh, Sarasa and uh, Akia at the aquarium and like kind of those feelings where, where Sarasa is trying to think about Tybalt what would Tibalt feel in his last moments, but that's for I. Um, Andrew, do you have anything to say about Amelie? Oh, shit. Okay, right. I need to fu- okay. <laughs> y- y- um, fuck. Okay. Um, sorry, sorry, okay. sorry. Just kind of... Sorry, my my cat is on the bed just, like, licking herself and being a maniac. <sighs> you don't have any balls to lick. You're a girl. I'm so hot. I need to turn the air conditioner back on soon. So... I know you're sexy. So the word I would use to describe like the specific uh, int- intonation that like Amelie uses is determination. Is that it's it's, it's not just like confidence that she has because I think like there's confidence is somebody who knows they're a shoe in, and I don't think anything about Karu is that she thinks or believes she's gonna get anything, but I think she's determined to work for it as hard as she goddamn can. And I think the way Amelie plays her is this level of strength and conviction that I feel like it's hard for somebody... I think it's basically the difference of somebody being a natural talent versus somebody being a hard worker, is that there are people... there's a di- There are people in this class, even in their friend group, that are naturally talented and exceptionally hard workers. And you can tell... That Karu is an extremely hard worker, but she never takes that out on anybody else. In fact, if anything, she respects people more for working hard and giving it their all instead of just quitting. And I think Amelie has this is strength in her performance that's really compelling, really interesting, but also really endearing. Like, you could hear the strength, the funny moments, but also just the pain and the hard work that she puts in. And it's fucking incredible. Like, Amelie's an extremely talented performer, has done a lot of variety of characters. She's done some very, very good work in this show in particular. Mm-hmm. I also randomly realized while watching that last episode where uh, her and Ayaka, are, where, like, is kind of comforting her when she's sort of breaking down about her own mm-hmm. frustrations, but Ayaka's there for her. I realized that both Amelie and Megan Shipman are Adachi and Shimamura. <laughs> oh my god! Which is Ayaka, a, though I Ayaka's the one really swinging for the harem in this. Which show, is a good segue into talking about Ayaka, which I completely forgot that Ayaka had an accidental gay bestie, and she didn't even realize it until. <laughs> and she had her epiphany while she was on stage, and it made her do better. God bless you. She ha- By the way, you want to know a fun fact about the girl who she had a gay epiphany over? Teach. Hmm. She was played by the best friend in Bell. Yeah, Jessica DeChico. <gasps> Yay! Which I was like, why does she Just sound so familiar? familiar? And then I look at the cast, and I'm like, holy shit, that's Flame Princess! I love it. I love it. Good stuff. 
just, just, God, I... Speaking of people who sing like a fucking angel so in this good. show... Holy shit. Holy shit, Megan Shipman! I think Megan Shipman could say good, but I really genuinely like the songs she gets in this, too. They're really pretty songs. She gets two! This was really... Like, so... I don't know. Have you guys seen Sing a Bit of Harmony? I have yet to. I have not. Okay, she sings a lot in that, and it's kind of like a musical-ish... Um, but it's not, the songs she sings aren't very like, you know, character driven or deep or thought provoking or anything to hear her sing this song. So emotionally was just like, Oh my God, Megan Shipman, why are you so good? Like what the fuck? And God (laughs) fucking Holy shit, Megan Shipman is I. God, poor, this poor girl. This girl. Right? It, so so here's what it is. Everybody she, is like, Sarza is my precious cinnamon roll. Please protect her. I want her to grow up big and strong. Here's the reality of the situation. Sarza's gonna protect herself. Fucking fine. That bitch is built like a girl? fucking tree. <laughs> This poor baby. Ayako is the one I'm like, oh my god, I want to protect you. I want to see you nurture, grow big and strong. And I will fucking kick that dance bitch. And this is where I'm going to genuinely give a trigger warning for what we're about to discuss. Is that Ayako genuinely goes through the beginning. She almost basically succumbs to having a straight up anorexia and an eating disorder. Because uh, Miss Tachibana tells her that she's getting fat when she is still skinny because women don't want to see women with curves here. They want to see an ideal. They want to see a woman dressed up as a man and and all that fun and, and all that fun stuff. So she so Ayaka starts to binge and purge and it's starting to it slowly starts to take its toll on her. She gets even in the animation, you can see she gets paler she starts to have pain in her back because, as uh, I points out, she's throwing up so much that the stomach acid is hurting her esophagus. Uh, and she genuinely gets sick and almost quits because of Miss Tachibana. And if it wasn't for Mr. Onodera believing in her so much, she would have given up. And even though, and just Megan's performance of this, it's so fragile and frail. Like, you feel that this poor girl is going to come apart at any moment, not because she's... And she's clearly a talented person. She is one of 40 people who got into the school where hundreds apply, but only 40 make it in every year. Like, she is talented even though she is effectively a normal person outside of the twins who we really don't know anything about their past, every other person on this list that we're, that we're going to still talk about, like Sawa was a prima ballerina. Karu has her family legacy. I was a former idol. Sadasa comes from a, inadvertently comes from a background where she has performance arts training. Ayaka is a normal girl whose parents bake bread. If she had it a hoge, she could be a Danganronpa protagonist. That's how normal she is. Jesus Christ. Um, so she just, how Megan handles such a delicate, delicate character work. Cause again, I have to imagine that as an actor, 
okay, you're coming in and playing this character and you're going to have to portray an eating disorder with the levels of horror that it entails. Because that's one of the things I really want to compliment Kageki Shoujo on is that it does not back away from showing how dangerous eating disorders right. are. Nor, nor does it really let the person get away with it. Like, it, it like... I will say, I guess, in a sense that they could have been harder on Miss Tachibana and, and kicked her out, but, like... Sometimes shitty don't, people they, don't get their just desserts for doing shitty things. Yeah, but it's clear that Mr. Onodera and the other teachers are fucking pissed at her for it. Especially Mr. Onodera. And just Megan, when she's trying to sing... And her, vo- her throat is so dry and she's so dizzy because she hasn't eaten and she's thrown up so much. God, it's so good. Oh, yeah. You could hear, like, that exhaustion and, like, lack of... It sounds like that is a dry voice. That in itself is an impressive in that delivery. It's heartbreaking. Like, it just... Mm-hmm. Oh. It, it's, it's very painful for me. It's such a good performance because it hurts so much and yeah i i genuinely think megan gets it is just this very charming girl who's kind of who is talented but is very much in a what is it what is the expression a a fish in a Fish She's a, a little pond. fish in a big pond. Little fish in a big pond, and there are also piranhas that are not afraid to beat you down. <laughs> there are also piranhas in the pond. There are also piranhas <laughs> in the big pond. That is very much what I'm going for. But it's clear that like she is a good person, and she is very talented at what she does. And I really do like her journey and her self-reflection of what she's come from, and also just... It's as tragic, but I'm glad she did go on. But I also just love her, uh, her fucking rom-com of a flashback. Just a genuinely- I could never ask him out. He's so dis- He's so- He's so- He's so distraught. I could never do that to him. Man, if I was a guy, I'd go out with you. Granted, I'll go out with you right now. What? 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 And then she's like, oh my god, did she just confess? Yes. During her fucking epiphany when she's trying to- And that's what sends her over the edge. (coughs) And god, I love how- I love how she takes that little stop before she starts to sing. Megan Shipman's a really good actress, y'all. It's a very- it's the- the choice of the pregnant pause is always a good one to use. And it's very clear that Ayako definitely made that work to her advantage. But no, I just love her little flashback because it's really cute and it's like she does like this guy- and he's so down in the dumps because the girl who didn't date anybody didn't date him because she's like, how fucked up would it be if I dated my best friend's crush? That'd be, that'd be kind of messed up. And that's how you know she's a real hoe. <laughs> that's how you know she's a real hoe. Oh my god. And, and now to the other end of one of my favorite moments in the thing. You've never been in a relationship and I've never committed murder. Let's talk about Sawa, a.k.a. who I hope Ayaka's endgame is. Oh, man. They're gay. She's... Those two are gay for each other. So, this is my first time... Oh, my... Oh, God, my my voice is so fucking dry. Please continue. I'll be back. I guess I'll get this this (laughs) conversation started. I love Corey's Sawa. I think she plays Sawa with the right amount of stick up her ass because she's the poor class rep. 
but with the right amount of absolute fucking dork. Because as much as I, I would like to talk about her and uh, one of the things I want to talk about when Andrew gets back, Andrew went to go grab water, um, is when they talk about going to see the show, the Romeo and Juliet, and it's like, Sadusa, have you ever seen another show besides Rose of Versailles? No. And it's like, oh my god, you've, you've killed her. And so I was like, no, this is the perfect opportunity. I can mold her in yes. my image. <laughs> that is, she is the epitome of your friend who's just waiting for you, them to get into your specific niche fantasy thing. <laughs> kind of like how I'm going to make all of you like Final Fantasy fourteen. You keep uh, dreaming that dream. You keep dreaming She is basically that friend who has watched... 400, 500 plus anime shows, and she knows somebody who's really into My Hero Academia, and she's like, I want to watch something more than My Hero Academia, and then she's just like, pulls out the fucking scrapbook as like, alright, what do you want? I got also, you. Also, I forgot to talk about this with Ayaka. Hell yeah, for Ayaka's first crust being, I think, something from Rosa Versailles, and then graduating to Yang Wenli. Okay, I love specifically, it's like, my first crush was an anime character, and it's legitimately sure. just Yang Wenli from Legend of Galactic Heroes. God bless. You've got good taste, my little bisexual fairy. Uh, back <laughs> to Sawa. Um, this this was legitimately the first thing I've ever heard Corey Petit in. Yeah, my I know. immediate thought was it's a, apparently it's Pettit. Actually. Is it Pettit? Okay, yeah, Jamal told Corey me. Pettit. What? This was my first thing hearing them in, and I adored their performance as what I can only describe as gender bent Tenya Ida. Oh my god, they are the class rep. I I I genuinely love that when. Is that not only not only is she the class rep, she's also probably I think the person who's most competitive with Karu. They're definitely the rivals between each other. It's Karu and in in a way Sarza. Sarza. Especially during that which, last arc. Yes, when she won't even she won't even shake Sarza's hand in competition. That's how serious she's taking it. And that's really I think the that last episode is like as much as Saw was a really cool character. I think it's those that last arc that really solidifies how great Corey's performance is. And it one, it's her talking and getting Ayaka to kind of like get out of her own head with the whole, I've never murdered someone. You're fine. Just do it kind of mentality. But also when she finds out that she lost playing as Tybalt and she goes to talk to Mr. Ando and she's the only girl who doesn't cry. And the thing is that they have a discussion over genius versus hard work. Specific and specifically, she brings up the film slash stage play Amadeus. In regards to Mozart which, versus Sayeri. Yeah, which if for those of you who've never watched the show or have watched the show and kind of glazed over because they referenced a movie that is probably older than most anime <laughs> fans were in their parents in their dad's nutsacks. Um, okay, it can't be that old. It's like in the 90s, like I think. No, that was in like the Wait, 70s. This movie was from uh, no, 1984. No. Amadeus? Oh, okay. I fucking told you it was like I told you it was like what 40 movie years are old. What are we talking about? Hold on. Okay, the Amadeus with Tom Hulse and um Tom Hulse and um Is that the one where everybody's wearing plays... the white wigs and then he gets like fucking crazy in yes. the orgies? Yes, Amadeus with F Murray Abrams and it Tom Hulse. Was it an 80s movie? 
I didn't. Yeah, it came out in it came out in nineteen eighty four, which means next year it is like forty years old. I did not realize that movie was that old. Wow. Okay. Continue. Yeah, it it stars and for anybody who doesn't know, it star uh, the guy who plays Mozart is also the voice of Quasimodo in the Disney Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, fun fact for y'all. But they they genuinely have this this kind of great conversation of Amadeus and the thing is that, um, for those of you who haven't seen it, it is about uh, Antonio Salieri talking about him murdering Mozart in this kind of this kind of thing where Salieri has put so much work into things he's put all this time and effort into things <clears throat> and Mozart can be a fucking loon and whatever he wants and he has so much natural talent and he gets everything he's ever wanted in life and when they're talking about this Mr. Ronda's like, yeah, I know that movie. I love it. And then just Corey's delivery of, I hate that movie. <laughs> because she talks about how much she feels like Salieri. And, and, and she talks about how much that's kind of eating her up inside. And, and they have this great conversation between her and Mr. Ondo where it's like, yeah, there are Mozarts in the world, but you can't have an entire production company full of Mozarts. You cannot stand in a situation where you have all of these quote-unquote born geniuses. Eventually, they're going to burn each other out. You always are going to have to have Salieri's in the world. You, you, which you are a Salieri in the sense of Coca. Because, again, remember, she's a prima ballerina outside of it. Um, before Coca, she's a prima ballerina and decides to come into this. In this world, you will be a Salieri. So I don't know what other advice to give you other than you and Sarasa tied all the way down to the end. And it came down to this one teacher's vote. You need to go talk to her. So she goes and talks oh to Mrs. Ogata. God. And Mrs. Ogata, who just goes... The only reason you lost was because Sodas is, is going to appeal to fans more. And in the ways of, I cannot believe this, she won because Sodas was, I can fix him. That's exactly what it was. It's that you really did a good job conveying the anchor, but Sodas was like, she opened, Tybalt opened uh, up and revealed. To, to, to his Juliet, who is the audience. And only his Juliet. It, you ever you ever watch those uh, Minerva P. Kelly uh, ship videos where it's like, you're a sucker for somebody who's angry, but goes soft for exactly one person. That. And then Sawa kind of like freaks out in the weird, dumb Sawa way and has Miss Ogata. You are the, the true fangirl. Fangirl of Coca. I... Which is probably one of which is probably one of Sawa's like other best moments. I, w- <laughs> I will say just to wrap this up very quickly, this is the best introduction to an actor I ever could have gotten because this is the kind of thing where I was like, okay, Corey's gonna go places. This is an incredible performance, and I cannot wait to see them in more things because this was this was a great first impression. Gigi, do you have anything else to add? Corey is in more than a married couple but not lovers which is like one of the greatest anime of all time and that's all I'll say about that until I finally get to do my episode maybe in 2025 oh, oh yeah you can do oh, it oh shit actually oh. I just realized something hey Gigi I'm gonna steal a thing for you okay hey Corey welcome to Dub Talk 
Yay. He did it. It's not just me anymore. Woo! But you have to say it like, like you're welcoming them. Like, hey, Corey, welcome to Dub Talk. Uh, okay, good. You did it for me. Aha. You're welcome. I did, I did 3D maneuver chess. Oh my God. <laughs> but seriously, I am, good, I am, she was great. Or is it they? Someone cut uh, that out. You could just say they're good. It doesn't they matter. They were great. They're good. Loved it. 20 out of 10. Very happy. Is, we're, this is the last group, right? Yeah, I, I and Sarsa are the last Perfect. Group Your girl needs okay. an encore. Also, I love... I love also when she's doing the tro- the winter troop thing. And Sarsa's like, what you doing? And she's like... Ah. And she's like, you killed her. What the fuck, Sarsa? <laughs> Uh, speaking, here's, and now we come to our, our main two players. I, Narita, and Sasara Watanabe. I, Narita, is the former idol of the JXP48 group who comes to uh, Koka not because she has any ambition of actually being on the stage. She just wants to be away from the world of quote-unquote men. And we talk about her performance, we will get into why, but needless to say... Uh, that is going to come with a ginormous trigger warning. Uh, which, if we haven't put one at the beginning of the episode in the disclaimer, um, this is its last warning. And then we have Sarasa Watanabe, a girl who is so enamored with the Rose of Versailles, as one mm-hmm. should be. It, listen, if you're an anime fan and you have not acknowledged the wonder and greatness and influence that is the Rose of Versailles... Uh, I'm going to cop- uh, hunt you down with a hardcover copy of it. <laughs> and uh, we're going to use it to weigh your feet down so we can uh, clockwork orange you into watching you, The Rose of Versailles. You literally would not have Berserk without The Rose of Versailles. That is a fact. And that's the true fact. That is a true f- That is a rock fact. Yes. Gr- it is a rocked fact also that you would not have a lot of dark fantasy that imitates Berserk without Shoujo manga. Don't, uh, don't con me into watching Berserk saying it's like Rose of Versailles when it's not like Rose of Versailles. Oh, it's not. Dude, it's not. It's not, but the late Kenta Murata-sensei, Mara- the late- Kentaro uh, Mura. The late author, yeah, the late author of Berserk had such a respect for Shoujo as a genre and the tropes and stuff of it. The man literally would draw in art trades with the artist of Yona. Okay. You we also like look at Griffith. Griffith is literally meant to look almost like a Lady Oscar. I don't know. I've never seen Berserk. <laughs> don't worry. You don't need to see it. But we can show you the be- the second best the way Dogen? to watch Berserk: the blooper uh, reel. <laughs> yes. I mean. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> She's not. Wrong. You have options there. Whether you're whether you're about guts and Casca or whether you're about guts and Griffith or whether you're about all three, like you have options. But if that's your OT three, you're probably going to be in for a very bad time. Bada-do, bada-do. Let's go! Come on. All right. So Sadasa wants to play Lady Oscar, and it is her dream. But you've come to learn more as the series progresses that Sarasa is not this big, shiny, happy girl that she puts a, uh, the face on on the outside. Playing Ainarita is Xanthi Wynn, and playing Sasara Watanabe is Oz Ryan. 
Xanthi Wen, you'll know as characters such as Sophia Taylor in Opera Ranman, Sachi in Sword Art Online, and Yuki, Yuna Yuki in Yuki Yuna is a hero. Oh, that's right! She's the girl that dies on Christmas in Sword Art! <laughs> yes. Yes, she is. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer! Uh, Oz Ryan, you'll know as characters such as the Sweet Pirate Crew in One Piece and Yohei uh, Tanaka in The Prince of Tennis. Uh, uh, but this was Oz's first named role. Yes. In an anime. So, how? Could I add one? Oh, I, let's start with Oz. Actually, I was going to add. I was going to add one more to Oz's uh, list of credits because this is both how I first knew Oz Ryan's work and sp- apparently how Lenti thought to go to Oz for the audition for Sarza. So, Jello Apocalypse, aka one Brendan Blaber, uh, did a series of videos of him and his friends playing through. Uh, the Miles Edgeworth Ace Attorney spinoff games and doing a read-through as well as just, like, playing... Basically, all the friends were playing different characters and all that. The voice that Oz used in Miles is a robot slash Miles is on fire for the character of Kay Faraday is quite literally the exact same voice he uses... For Sarza Watanabe. Huh. Anyway. That's a fun fact for y'all. So let's start with I. And this is the point where I'm going to have to pump the brakes really quickly. To say that in talking about I, Narita's character in Xanthi's performance, we do need to talk about I's backstory. If you are very squeamish or um, don't want to... Uh, hear us talk in depth about certain things. Hopefully our editor will place a timestamp where we can go into more general thoughts on eyes, Xanthi's performance as I, but I do want to put a uh, strict trigger warning that we're talking about child sexual molestation and assault. Um, There is no two ways around it that we have to talk about it to talk about I's character that informs Xanthi's performance because Xanthi does play I as a child as well. Um, Episode 3, The Teddy Bear, is probably, like... It is genuinely a very, very well-put-together, intense, but very tasteful take on what happens in a medium that has had a very open problem with how it displays sexual assault. And, Um, and, And this is genuinely coming from somebody who... It's genuinely, and I want to point this out, it is genuinely usually male-on-female assault that gets presented for a lot of uh, titillation. I know this is probably going to be very controversial, but I'm talking about this This episode it, it exists in a space where you have first episodes such as Goblin Slayer, Eminence in Shadow, Skeleton Knight, where uh, sexual assault is literally used as a way to hook the viewer into the show. And it is either never brought up again or it is played as... Shock value. Just... It's it's just shock value. Um, what I goes through, just like what Ayaka goes through, is presented as not only morally reprehensible, 
it extends to how much these characters actually deal with the ramification, especially I. Um, so with that being said, holy shit, Xanthi Wynn is so fucking good in this. I, um, I think the most, the, the most interesting thing about, uh, Xanthi's performance as I, Naruto in particular, is that I've heard a lot of different Xanthi role performances in, in other things, other games and all that, but this is like a quieter and a lot more stoic kind of performance that up until uh, Kageki Shoujo I had literally never heard of. I'd hear something similar to her to her work in uh, uh, Licorice Recoil, but this was the... F- that came after this. this, this <laughs> that came after this, which this was my first real ex- 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 exposure to a performance like this, and it's extremely unique, because it's very stilted, it's very it- quiet, it's maybe a little prickly... <laughs> But it's a lot more subdued than I'm very used to Xanthi. What I'm used to hearing from Xanthi is a lot more... What was discussing with Bryn. More cutesy, more anime, moe-type characters. And I know that voice because that's the voice she uses when she is a child. Yeah, I want to talk about just... This is it's, it's I I apologize to both of you because this is when Megan's humanities brain has kicked on. Shoot. Um. So I want to say that I and I want to ask if you two noticed this. Did you guys notice that the light, the life, and the vibrance and the cheer in Xanthi's performance from episode three just slowly drains as the episode goes on? Yep. Yes, I did. It's very very effective and the fact that it even starts out on the cutesy adorable anime girl voice that I typically associate with a number of her work as it slowly loses that it isn't yeah and I think the thing that and this is why I brought up talking about very early in this podcast which if you remember the beginning of this podcast congratulations (laughs) Uh, is that the social, I felt like the social commentary was woven into the narrative of the show better than some of other series that deal with, we're going to talk about being an actor in, or an idol in this space and what it does. And that is, is that one of the things I really want to highlight about Kageki Shoujo is that a majority of the growth and the characters and stuff and the support that happens genuinely happens not because there is this one character who is pulling everybody together, but it is also genuinely built up on LGBT and or female to female friendship and companionship. And in this case, the thing I really want to talk about with I is that she wasn't just sexualized when she was an idol. She was sexualized by everybody around her just for existing. And it's, it's very telling that in the episode, the teddy bear, when it starts with the flashback it starts with her holding this big teddy bear and saying, my dad got it for me. But everybody around her just keeps placating her and calling her so cute and so beautiful and all that stuff just to get aunt something out of her, even though she is a literal child. And then the next thing after that is it's her at school and these boys who are children, like... These kids are, like, maybe what? Like, They're probably, like, eight. 
maybe somewhere between six and eight years old. And they're talking about seeing eyes and specifically they say, we saw your mommy's titties on TV. And they start pushing their chest together and make kissy noises at her. And it upsets her because I has this view of her mother that is, is my mom is working so hard, even though it's very clear that I's mom doesn't really give two shits about her kid's well-being. And you, that's kind of like the first places where you really start to start to hear that life coming out. It's these two little boys who are in her class are are basically calling her dirty by association because her mom does probably like not porn, but she's in like you know your she's an R rated feature uh, flicks. Yeah, she's in like your she's like basically like the basic instinct shit if you've ever seen basic instinct which is another movie that's what's that one movie some anime what's fans. that one movie where it's like the poster's like a woman's head on like a just a, a leg is it showgirls yes that's showgirls i think so okay yeah basic instinct no. is not showgirls that's the one where that's the one where uh newman from seinfeld sees uh some a flash of vagina I'll be honest, I didn't um, know what you were talking about. I was thinking to that Ar- one Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where that mutant girl has three boobs. No, that's, 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 uh... Total Recall? That's, uh, no, not Total That's Total Recall. Okay. Um, no, Basic Instinct is, is another movie that I'm not going to give you as much shit because we were children when that came out. Um, the majority of us were, like, under ten years old, I think, if when Basic Instinct came out, if not not born yet. Um... Hold on, basic. Yeah, Andrew, you weren't even born when Basic Instinct came out. All right. I was one. I was, yeah, I was not even one years old when that <laughs> movie came out. Not even one years but, old. No, it quite literally came out on my mom's birthday in 92. I was maybe, like, what, six months old at that point? Because I was born in November. So movies like Basic Instinct. But yeah, like you know those types of movies, like like Femme Fatale, like that, like fi- little yeah, Fatal little Attraction, racy, Basic Instinct, but yeah. not like porn. Yeah, like porn. It's yeah, like stuff that would it's not stuff that would go in like she'd be in Game of Thrones modern. It's day. not porn. It's HBO. Yeah, Skinamax. Oh um, which is another term that young young otaku won't know. But you, you you kind of have this whole thing, and then you get to what breaks. I as a child, and that is her husband brings home a child molester. Uh, and I'm sorry, I. And you you kind of see this moment where she's getting to finally be like a normal kid at her friend's house, but she's constantly calling her mom like, "Mom, something's wrong." He keeps staring at me. He keeps stopping uh, outside my bathroom when I'm taking a bath, and her mom just blows her off as being a whiny child, and she's just too overly attached. And then I is kissed by this man and forcibly kissed and she eventually runs away and just the absolute panic and heartbreak of I trying to cough up in the bathroom while thinking that she's pregnant because she doesn't know know any she literally doesn't know any better. She she's a child. God. And Xanthi just absolutely it's just like and then you you kind of see this moment that she breaks that her mom doesn't care about her. Her dad doesn't exist because her dad's out of the picture. She's she's kept her hair long because people think it's cuter that way. And so she stabs the teddy bear and rips it out 
like she's trying to rip out the baby she thinks she has yeah, and then that, she cuts all of her hair. Oh, it's such a vile and like It's such a visceral scene. Oh. And and then you get you get Taichi coming over and he figures things out and he gets the lock and and you kind of do that. And then what? you actually so you hang have... on, I, I didn't want to skip ahead for a second just because it's like he's literally wondering what he could do for her. And the very yeah. first thing she asks is to put a lock on her door. And it's like, man, man, fuck. Horse, horse, horse standing on the beach says man. Um, and then you have when she's, I think in middle school where she gets scouted to see, to be an idol, but you see her walking down the street and like, even her just walking down the street, she notices how men just keep staring at her. Like, they all keep looking at her, and she feels like they're looking at her like meat. And then when she joins the idol thing, she doesn't realize how much that's going to exploit her more. She just thinks that... I get to be in an all-girl group. That should be fine. Fine. But she doesn't realize it, and then she ends up leaving because she calls this guy disgusting. She calls poor... She calls uh, good old... Good old uh, Kitoji despicable and how she hates them. And I think the thing I like about Xanthi's performance is that she carries that weight and that heartbreak. And even when she starts trying to move out of that and like, she's like, I'm actually going to try for once. I'm going to try to be good at this. Like you can still hear that she kind of mumbles a lot and doesn't really know how to connect with other people. And she gives good advice, but she can't take what she gives out as advice very well. And I like that awkwardness to her in especially that she's very sarcastic in her advice. Like how she talks about how she's jealous of the frog. I will conquer that frog. Conquer that frog. Because there's this level of like she really does want to mend this relationship with Sarza throughout the entire show. Which I I, I think I had had this revelation before because I think I saw somebody make a meme and made a Kageki Shoujo variant. Where it's this fucking, uh, it's, it's a my next life as a villainous four panel oh, comic. Yeah. Where it's like, uh, it's, it's like the main heroine is going, I've never had a best friend before. And then it's, uh, and then it's, uh, oh god, what? I never had a girlfriend then, before. No, 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 no. It's like, I've never had a best friend before. And then the villainess is just like, I'll be your best friend. I've never had a girlfriend either. Like okay, yeah, that's that is Sarasa and I to a T. It's. I also like to point out that when the, I I forgot this, I forgot this thing because I also put the frozen joke in there in their in our notes chat between <laughs> each other. Um, is when they're talking about uh, I being an idol, uh, and then it's just I forgot this line as a writing line. The I Naruto Nation opened its doors just like when Commodore Perry opened the border, and all I posted back was "Knock, knock! It's the Americans with uh guns and boats, gunboats. Open up the country. Stop having, Stop it, having be it, closed. it be closed. God, that's a classic. You... <laughs> Stop opening. Stop. But well. Have you ever, Gigi? Have you ever seen history, the history of Japan? That this isn't. It's time to take a Lenap. That's not Lenap, is it? No, that no, that's that's uh, that's oh, fire yeah, the fire missiles. missiles. Take a Lenap. Oh. But 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 I'm tired. Take a nap yes. and then fire the missiles. No, history of history of Japan and the history of the entire world, I guess, are 
both two incredibly funny videos. Uh, but the Japan one has this entire thing where, of where, where it's stop having the country be closed. Oh my god. We're here with guns and boats. Gun boats. No. So I will, I will admit to you guys, like, when I first watched this and I saw the first two episodes, I, I didn't get Xanthi's performance at all. I was like, damn, she's quiet. And I know that this is a thing in Japan where they have, like, very whispery, quiet, stoic seiyuu. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that must be, like, a, an interpretation of that. Like, that's what it has to be. But then I saw episode three. And I saw, like, I heard her as the younger version of I. And I was just like, oh, I get it now. Like, I get why in the first couple episodes, like, I is just so stoic. And so, like, I don't know if I want to be here, but I'm here. So let's, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I hate men. I get it. And as that episode went on, I got it more. I got it more after that episode is over and you slowly start to see I transform. Like even she's growing out her hair again. Like her hair is getting longer the longer she's around Sarasa and like making friends and like discovering herself. And from episode one to the very last episode, just the transformation that Xanthi does, even in her vo- her voice acting for I, is just, like, impeccable. And it's these very small, subtle changes. Like, you actually kind of have to really listen to them to get it fully. But it's really, it's very artistic. Like, it's such a nice character arc for both I and for Xanthi to go through as playing her. So kudos to that, man. Thank you for making me change my mind. I love it when actors do that. Like, it just makes me so happy that you can pull one over on me. So love it. You know, it's probably like one of, one of my favorite dramatic moments with I in particular. It's, it's like the tail end of her whole arc after, uh, the, the, the idol guy does the failed, like, headbutt and then almost gets arrested because the cops assume he's mm-hmm. the one harassing her. It's when she goes to give him the handkerchief and then just kind of drops it. And it's, like, that level of, like, her genuinely apologizing. It's like, I'm not doing this because I think you're disgusting. I'm doing this because this is genuinely as much as I can do right now. I'm sorry. I'm really trying. And it's that level of somebody who's like, they are not doing this because they hate this person. They are doing this because they're trying to extend the olive branch. And the olive branch is locked behind so many, like, locks to her own heart. That she just, she may have undone one, but there's still at least eight more that need to be undone. And she's working. And that's, and that's when we get Phoenix right to open them all. Oh my god, I wasn't even trying to go for a fucking Phoenix Wright segue, but but I guess this is as perfect a segue as I can to talk about Kay Faraday, I'm sorry, Oz Ryan. I mean, go ahead, you start, I want to go last, because I I have things to say. Okay, so. so, inspired, what a fucking inspired choice for this character in particular. It's 
Oz has the right level of just... How do I describe it? Sarasa is a breath of uh, sunshine, but she is also an unbelievably complicated character and somebody who is dealt dealing with a lot, who has dealt with a lot of hurt, who is dealing with trying to undo her own programming when it comes to being a mimic, but also trying to deal with the fact that the thing she wanted the most is literally impossible for her to get. Not because she's not good enough, but because the very foundation of the art she loves is straight up sexist and disproves of her being in it. And there's that level of like heartbreak that comes to that while also she herself is just this kind of dorky little otaku that's just doing her best and trying to pretend nothing bothers her. I adore what Oz gives to this performance. I think he is a very unique take on this character, but it feels almost effortless. This is a level of inspired casting that genuinely more than anything my takeaway from all this is that Oz is incredibly charming as this character and I adore his Sarsa. I also think one of my favorite line deliveries in the show is when everybody is very tense. Everybody is incredibly tense in the bath because they're all trying mm -hmm. to do the auditions for this scene of Romeo and Juliet. And then Sars is just like, ah, this is a nice good soak. And then just everybody's awkward and quiet and ignoring each other. So she just breaks the silence by just saying, Somebody talk to me! It fucking kills me every time. Gigi? Oz, his voice. Okay, let's just talk about it. It's so unique. <laughs> like, I don't even know how to how to describe it not even his acting but just the vocal tones that are used with sarasa like just sarasa's normal speaking voice okay and then when you flip to the acting part there's two different ones there's like the mimicry tibble and then sarasa's own tibble first of all just the range between those three is freaking insane. Oh, it is wild. It is crazy. It's like, okay, we see why that teacher was such a fangirl because the panties they be dropping, you know? But at this... Like... It's, the first time I heard it, I just... I was kind of taken aback a little because in anime, you're kind of used to these... And I'm not saying this in a bad way, but there's a lot of tropes in anime. And when you watch a lot of it, you get used to them. Like, you get used to the high-pitched girl voices. You get used to, you know, the the Chris Waycamps of the world, the David Walds of the world, both as Mr. Onodera and as, like, um, Reiji from Diabolic Lovers. I mean, you, you know where the tropes are and you know what they're going to sound like in your mind. So when Sarasa, the character, opened her mouth and Oz's voice came out, I was kind of like, what? <laughs> like, like this is... 
just this tone that I haven't really heard in an anime. Now it sounded to me more, and this is going to sound maybe a little weird, but like an American cartoon, like I could hear him in like a Steven Mm -hmm. universe or something on cartoon network or like a gravity falls or an owl house. Like I feel like that voice of his would translate very normally into an American cartoon, but to hear it in an anime, it just was awesome. Cause you know, you hear the same people a lot of the time and it's just, you know, they're very good. Everyone's very good. Everyone's extremely talented. But when you hear somebody new for the first time, it's like a breath of fresh air. And Sara says to me, and Oz's performance was like a breath of fresh air. It was so unique and so fun to listen to. And Oz is so talented. He got my dubby for something. I can't even remember. Yeah, whatever category it was. And I was just kind of like, yes. Please, more of this in the anime sphere. Even if he got roles in the non-anime sphere, I would be happy with that. Like, I don't know. Just something about it was so jarring to me. And it just, as the show went on, it was like, no, this is how it's meant to be. Like, it's super cute and bubbly. And at the same time, it kind of hurts me and stabs me in the chest. And I don't. I don't understand why, but here it is. And like hearing the nuances of his performance, you just want good things for Sarasa because of it. And that's also how a really good main character is written. You want them to succeed. You know, it's not like the tropey Naruto's or the Gones. Or the whatever shonen protagonist you can pull out of your back pocket at the moment. Like, I want Sarasa to be happy. I want Sarasa to be Tibble. I want to hear Oz's Tibble. <laughs> you know, it just, it's so good. It's so okay, good. Okay, before, be- Megan, before you say your, your thing, I do want to at least add one thing. Because there's a lot, there's a lot of things I remembered very vividly when it came to the show. There is yeah. something I completely forgot and is maybe one of the funniest, but also the most in-character things I've ever seen for Sarasa Watanabe. And it's yeah. her it's her struggling to be like, I don't know how to play somebody other than myself. I don't know how to be anything other than me. How do I be something that's not me? And it's <laughs> How do I be me with double It's basically be the you that you want yourself to be. So, her- what do you want, Sarasa? I want double D. <laughs> so her thought process is, great. "Oh, I wish I was just me, but with bigger tits." Because I really want to, co- I really want to cosplay those like anime like jump plug suits, but are like really skimpy. But like. When you got these size, it doesn't really look like anything. It's just like, oh, that's just a normal thing. But if you got the double Ds, it's like, oh, that thing's ready to burst. And you just have the confidence of having somebody with, like, big tits. And it's like, you do those cool things. And it's just like, I want to be the me that is as confident, as cool, as big tit Sarasa Watanabe. And it's like, it's a genuinely silly moment. But it's like, oh, this is such... This is so in character, but so brilliant. And 
I love that so much. It's one of those, my god, I think she's on to something things, and I adore Oz's delivery. I, it's, it's very much a, it's a very much, holy shit, she's so dumb, but she gets it. It's, yeah, basically. Okay, so now I get to talk about the love <laughs> of my life. Sarasa Watanabe, my daughter. My beloved daughter, who I have an android of sitting right in front of me Yay. every time I record. Um, I also got that android, same. too. Yeah. Um, in her little Tybalt outfit. I have her carrying her big, like, flower ribbon thing. That's the thing I use, my, my prop for her that I use. Um, so, there's so much I want to talk about Oz's performance in there, because Sarasa is genuinely such a layered character that seems so not layered when you first meet her and as much as she is a sunshine ball a very kind of ditzy flighty seeming person she is a person that comes from a a place of i guess immense sadness it's she has been denied things that she has wanted her entire life it's very clear she doesn't have a relationship with either of her parents. Her mom is MIA. Her dad is allegedly had her illegitimately and doesn't get to talk to her. She's eventually pushed out of of doing the one thing that she loves after she does it once because she is so naturally talented at it because she takes Kabuki so seriously and loves it so much with her heart everything that Sa that Oz puts into Sarasa is so genuine because Sarasa is such a genuine character she doesn't half ass anything the character and yet you get these moments as the series goes on where she comes off I think the best way to describe her sometimes is a sad clown is that Oz, he gets to play a, a sad clown character, which I want to promote because it feels like we never get really good female characters in anime that get to have these arcs. And I, I genuinely want to talk about not only the aquarium scene and how it plays into Sadasa's Tybalt, but also this one scene that uh, you see Sadasa as a little girl where I think she's she's watching TV with her grandmother and she's just got this face on her of, you know, that that face that every like little kid has when they're not getting their way uh, and they're upset about something, but they clearly don't know how to hide big, it from anybody. Big pouts. Yeah, those big pouts. And she's talking about how and it's kind of the one time we ever see Sadasa ever be mean. Or malicious. And she talks about how she wants Akia to get hurt. And her grandmother instantly screams at her for it. And she breaks down into tears with this overwhelming sense of guilt. That she... Just the thought of her wanting to deny somebody else their chance is seen as the most... The worst thing that you could ever do to somebody. And... She takes not only that moment where she wants to wish harm on on somebody as a little kid and gets yelled at, but then you get this great scene in in the aquarium date where at the beginning of that day, 
you get to hear the the Oz's Sadasa that is chipper and happy. And yet when she gets to she goes to meet up with with Akia and she's early and she hears them talking to each other, she's met with the reality that Akia's future depends on her again. And you have to imagine how that must feel. Because as a little kid without her knowing she was affecting Akia's future. Everybody was always going to compare Akia to her. And how dare she be better than Akia. And how I guess that's it would have started that whole cycle of well you know she's Kozaburo's daughter and blah 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 blah. Um, and then she goes there and she asks him out first. And just the the absolute melancholy for a 16 year old girl. Yeah, she's like 15. A 15 year old girl at the mm-hmm. time. That Oz channels when they talk about being the fish in the aquarium. That one day that she's going to start out as a small fish. And then one day she's going to move up and eventually become the big stingray. She's going to be the big star of the tank that everybody looks at. And yet you can feel that even even if she does achieve that, in that moment with Akia, it doesn't really actually matter to her in my mind. Because at the end of the day, you kind of you kind of see her kind of compartmentalize things that one day I'm going to be Lady Oscar and one day you're going to be Sukiruku. But in that moment, I don't think it matters. It's because once again she's gotta carry Akia. And that's where I think that kind of weird dynamic between them like flows through. But man, Oz just channels that into Tybalt. And you get this this performance of Sadas's Tybalt that is both so angry in the moment of his death, but yet like like the series Misogata says, it opens him up to such vulnerability and the ability to love in his last his last moments. And Oz nailing that just fucking slaps so hard and i love this character i love that this is a character who gets to navigate this this world of acting and also has to deal with kind of the misogyny of the world like i has but not in obviously as such a traumatic and triggering way in the sense that she the legacy is not passed to daughters it's passed to sons and I think that's something that a lot of people can really resonate with in acting as well, where you have these these actors, like sons of actors who get to do things. And obviously there's female nepotism as well in Hollywood and, and the acting sphere and all that fun junk. But just to see kind of how these two girls have very similar bases, but have gone two different paths to come together again. And I think Oz just absolutely was, to me, the best performance in the show. Like, and to do that for your first big-named anime role. Like, there's a reason that I didn't give him best actor that, like, best new actor. I just gave him straight up best actor in a drama because it was that good. And if you're not watching the show or have never watched the show, you're doing yourself such a disservice to yourself to not watch it. It's just good television. All right, let's final thoughts this shit. And then take our curtain call. Oh, that would be nice. Your girl tired. She wants a bow. 
maybe a curtsy. We'll see how it goes. Uh, y- you know what? Th- you know what this gets? A fucking standing ovation. That's what this fucking gets. Ay- this is a good dub. Incredible dub. Everybody that worked on this fucking gave it their all. This is an incredible production. Really good show too, but the dub itself absolutely elevates strong material and makes it even fucking better. Uh, Mirtha Lenti and their team at Sound Cadence absolutely should be proud of themselves. This is a real tour de force and something that I think everybody who likes good drama owes it to themselves to watch. Kageki Shoujo is 100,000% my bullshit. It is full of drama and it's full of amazing characters. It's got music in it. It's got an acting background. As soon as I was finished with it a second time, I was like, hold on, I got to go watch Glass Mask because (laughs) this is how my life is lately. Um, Sarasa is kind of like the way better version of Maya from Glass Mask. (laughs) You should all go watch it, even though nobody likes it. It's fine. Just me. I think I own, I think I own Glass Um, Mask There's two versions. There's the 80s version, and then there's the remake in the 2000s, which ADV only released half of. But don't worry, it's all on Crunchyroll. I know, because I started watching it again, because I have no self-control. Anyway, um, this show is amazing. 1000% my bullshit. I'm so happy that it got a dub and that it got an extremely good dub because there are other shows like it that will probably never get dubs or they're just not to this level. Um, there's one that's extremely like this show, but a little bit more weird, and I won't say which one it is, but y'all probably know what I'm talking about if you know this genre very well. It's not this. Sound... I know know what you're talking about, and I know that show, and I'll tell you something afterwards about that. Um, Sound Cadence always does immaculate jobs with their dubs. Um, They tend to get, you know, not necessarily everyone's favorite show, the big shows, um, but they get shows that people genuinely care about and that are extremely interesting and they have artistic license to do whatever they want with them. And Kageki Shoujo is one of those anime and one of those dubs. It is so good, so immaculate. Please watch this. Please listen to it dubbed, even though I'm going to go back and watch the sub parts with Junichi Suwabe in it. I mean, that's oh that's God. me. I got a simp from a boy, Renjin Guji. However, <laughs> it's... The first... They, they talk about standing eye in the first I love the that. The that. translation is so good. The jokes are good. Like, everything about Kageki Shoujo is great, you guys. Please go give it a watch on... Crunchyroll Funimation if you still have a sub like I do you won't regret it it's so or good. you could buy or you could buy it on Blu-ray which here's a weird fun fact for you did you know that the Kageki Shoujo Blu-ray is technically one of the last Blu-rays to come out with the Funimation branding I did not but yes. I also haven't purchased it yet so I will have to put it on my list next time I do a right stuff order maybe it'll be on sale for their birthday you should bu- 
You it, should buy Kageki Shoujo on Blu-ray for the luxury of saying you got one of the last Funimation branded Blu-rays. Does ever it have made. any special features? Anyway, oh, not, not really. Really, but sad. Okay. Anyway. Okay, I guess for transparency's sake, it's that and Kimono Jihen, but I digress. Uh, so my final thoughts are: if you have not watched this dub, you're missing out, and you should watch it at any time, all time. It is also one of the easiest dubs to watch in the world. Um, you will you will sit there and wish you had more. Um, I want to commend Lenti and, and their crew and their cast on this. It is an absolutely beautiful dub. One of my favorites of the last couple of years, if not all time now. Like, I love this dub. I love this show. I love this, this series and this franchise. And I'm going to be picking up volume nine tomorrow as of the time of this recording. Um, so... Uh, yeah, no, I, I think I said a lot of my thoughts throughout the whole dub, uh, the whole podcast. So if you'd like to watch this, I believe you can watch it on both Crunchyroll and Funimation on Sub and Dub. You can pick up the Blu-ray from uh, your DVD purveyor of choice um, right now. You can also pick up the manga from Seven Seas Manga. And if you do plan on picking up the manga, please know this. The volume order is Kageki Shoujo The Curtain Rises, then followed by volume one, and therefore... Okay. So if you do, I, not, if you do not pick up The Curtain Rises, you will be very fucking I've lost. always wondered that, because that in itself is the biggest thing that confuse, confuses me. Yeah, it, it's it's Kageki Shoujo The Curtain Rises, Kageki Shoujo 1, and then you follow a numerical order. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, Kageki Shoujo The Curtain Rises, I believe, covers the first three-ish episodes of the show. Three, four-ish episodes of the okay. show. So, um... Yeah. Uh, and then if you'd like to follow us, we are the Dub Talk Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, uh, Twitter, <laughs> Tumblr, which is back to life, I guess, in uh, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch, where we stream every so often. Uh, if you'd like to support us on the one-off, you can support us by uh, dropping us a Kofi in the link below. But if you'd like to support us more on the regular, you can always subscribe to us on Patreon. And if you subscribe at a certain tier, you will get a nice, wonderful shout-out. Such as my mom and dad, Michelle Travis, Julia W., and Victor Mayborida at our $5 tier. And our $10 tiers, Anthony Brown, Carly Lustikow, Otaku Anthony, and our wonderful, wonderful sponsor for this episode, Marissa Lenti. Um... I'm just going to shout you guys out super quick because we are running long on time. Uh, if you'd follow, if you want to follow Gigi, you can follow her at Anime Palooza on, I believe, both Twitter and YouTube where she posts a lot of cool stuff. Uh, and if you'd like to follow Andrew, you can follow him at uh, MangaMan9000 uh, where he posts a lot of shit posts and pictures of his cat, Ash. Uh, you can also hear him on Podcast ONA as well uh, whenever Podcast ONA goes up. So everybody, take your bows. We are done. It's time to go do a rager in the castle. Actually, I have one more shout out. I actually want to throw out quickly if you don't mind me joining us quick. Yeah. So, Dub Talk Podcast. Guess what? We have a theme song now. Cur- oh yeah, that's right. Courtesy of the wonderful Gabriel Puccinelli. Sorry if I butchered your name. Uh, they did an incredible job with our brand new theme song, and you can follow them at at Gabe G A B R. P-U-L-C-I-N-E-L-L-I. And also check out their stuff. We're probably going to share their stuff for a little bit. They did a fantastic song, and they did a good job. Also, shout out to that one time where we needed a picture for Oz Ryan. We didn't have anything. And then Lenti was just like, I have one picture. And they did a cosplay as Lady Oscar. And then I was like, can we use it? And then Lenti asked, and then they said, bet. (laughs) 
And then we did. So thank you very much for that wonderful Bless. cosplay. That's beautiful. What a beautiful story. I, I wanted to I wanted to work that in, but I legitimately forgot to bring it up. But it's like literally, we didn't have any pictures of Oz. Then they did a cosplay of Lady Oscar, and then they're like, I dare you to use that pick. Bet, and we did. So that being said, it's time for us to go back into the green room and throw a cast Perfect. rager. Oh, Lord. In the tradition... In the tradition of you the You like Amazons. me. You really like me. Let's go drink some box wine, and then I'm going to go to bed. Good night, everybody, and otaku Love on. your faces. And remember that Kroger committed a crime against a cinnamon roll. Oh my god, fucking Kroger's on my shit list now. I'm hungry. Bye. Good night! <laughs>